0: Sirius 197, XM202, the virus. The Ron and Fez show starts right now.
1: It's the Ron and Fez show on one of the weekdays, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Time for your Ichibuns. Ichibun
2: Ichibun.
1: Everybody knows what that means. Number one. Ah, there's Dave's voice.
3: Number one.
1: Uh, Remember Dave? Number one. Crazy as he was, every day he came in to go to work. Every single day he came in here, happy to go to work. All right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. And I'm not saying that like he died. I'm just saying on a personal thing, I miss him. Don't let anyone go, oh, my God, what just happened today if Ron said something nice about him? Uh, all right, it is the Ron and Fez Show. Big news uh, is what we're looking for, the big Ichiban. That's the big story of the day. Uh, and I want you to say to yourself, I'm not just somebody who sits and listens. Now, I'm a person who contributes. I don't just take, take, take. I'm ready to give one day. Uh, let's, go, let's go over here and start this off with the ECW zombie. What's your...
4: Ichiban. Ichiban. It like a million bucks today. Marks, rats, tap and brains. ECW zombie from Scott Island making his debut. <laughs> letting you know that two days ago, Ichiban of the day, a doctor... Accused, arrested for writing over 3,000 Oxycontin scripts over seven months, making Staten Island the number one oxycotton borough.
1: Zombie, you got to be pretty proud about that, uh, considering uh, smallest borough, most oxycotton.
4: You know, Zombie, Zombie, over 12 years. A lot of bumps, fights, and bruises in the, in the ring, Ronnie B. Mm-hmm. Sad faces today on Staten Island.
1: Well, it's a tough one. Um but- You'll have find to find, Yeah, you, you guys have to find another way to OD, I guess.
4: No, no, not me, Ronnie. No. One day at a time, brother. One day at a time.
1: All right, take care, zombie. There's Thanks, the ECW Bobby. zombie giving us the Ichi Bomb. Now, if he can do it, you can say to yourself, God damn it, I can do it too. I can do it too. I don't have to sit and watch. I can get involved in this. 866 uh, run 0 fez 866 run 0 fez Here's uh, Richard in uh, St. Louis. How are you, Richard? Great, Ronnie. I got the Ichiban for you. Well, I'd like to hear one. Ichiban <laughs> uh,
0: Tony Parker's cheating on the gorgeous Ewa Longoria, banging one of his former teammate's wives.
1: Yeah, and it's actually Rick Barry's daughter-in-law, which I think crosses all basketball boundaries there. Now, I saw the picture of him... Um, Gorgeous, gorgeous woman. So I can see how it could happen. And in the meantime, there's Yvonne Longoria, who's let herself go. Uh, if we're going to be totally honest about it, um, she put on, I think, a half a pound. Took it back off, but still. She
5: didn't bounce back.
1: But, she, yeah, it's not, not the way she should have. And she's going to pay attention to this guy. Now, the weir- the awful thing, too. And again, I don't want to get into this whole Rick Barry thing, but he was a fabulous ball player, and his son's playing. His life should be fantastic. Who does he find out this story from? TMZ calls him, and the quote was something like, "Oh my God, this is going to kill my son. I didn't know anything about this." Um, let's go over here because I don't always have these on the HG Ichib- Bums, but I have a spy report.
6: Spy report
1: from our own Jermaine Lassier. Now, if you go into uh, Jersey diners, you know just how well-respected this man's work is. They blow it up. They hang it on the wall. In the world of film, everybody wants to talk to G-Baby. How are you, pal?
4: Hey, what's up, buddy?
1: Now, I understand you have a... Spy report.
3: Spy report. For us?
4: Sure. Uh, yeah. Tonight at midnight, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1 opens. Everybody's going to be talking about it. It's going to have a huge weekend. I saw the film last night.
1: And what did you think of it?
4: Um... I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. It's not the best in the series. It's far from the worst. I really, really thought it was enjoyable. However, it's not for newbies to the uh, to the series. There's no room for error. You have to know the story back and forth. And because it is half of a movie really, it does you don't walk out feeling as satisfied as you normally would. It, said, it
1: sets the table, right?
4: It, yeah, it's a huge table setter. There's a million questions at the end of it. There's not a huge, big climax, you know, that, that you feel great about at the end. It's sort of a sort of a weak cliffhanger. But all the way through, it's a really entertaining two and a half hours.
1: I, uh, I haven't seen any of these, but I'm going to go to the first one tonight. I'm going to dress up like Harry Potter. Help me out a little bit. Who's Gobi? And uh, what the hell? What are they, witches or something in there?
4: Witches, goblins, and uh, I don't know who. You probably mean Dobby.
1: I don't know who any of these people are. Is there who? Which one of them is Harry? Is he the kid with the glasses? He looks like
7: Rustin but with glasses. Yeah,
1: that's Harry. That's a damn good look for a young man. (laughs) That's not a bad look at all.
7: If only there Uh, were some books to read up on this, huh? Yeah, exactly. If only there was a manual for
1: these books, movies. So uh, these guys—they shit the bed. That's it. They ruined it. They ruined the whole franchise. (laughs) <laughs>
4: not, not, not in the slightest it's just it's not, a, it's not a very accessible movie but as an adaptation of the books it was awesome 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 it's just, it's just as a movie it's uh, it's not as good as the other ones just because the other ones have endings to them
1: I'm very good so. friends now with the producers they've asked me to produce uh, the last one with them oh wow I came up with the idea of adding monkeys and I haven't heard back from them yet
4: oh yeah 13 monkeys I- I'd like to get behind that if thank I can thank you
1: yeah. Start writing it up. Let's try to get this thing to go viral. Talk Let's to the fanboys. All right. Uh, gee, baby, it's uh, an interesting thing to hear. We ought to all meet up in Orlando at that Harry Potter World over there in Orlando. Yeah, that
4: that sounds. I want to fucking check that out. To be quite honest, but
1: uh, I haven't been yet. Well, it's. I don't know whether you like the teacups, but it's teacups, and then you're surrounded by Harry Potter stuff.
4: <laughs> oh, oh, it's interesting. It sounds yeah. really fun, I think.
1: Yeah. All right, uh, talk to you later, man. All Peace. Right, thank you, buddy. There is Mr. Hollywood, the man who knows the insides and the outsides, Jermaine Lacier, G Baby, as we sometimes call him. All right, is that simple folks to get in on the Ichiban? I'm willing to hear your Ichiban. Ichiban, uh, Frank Strong Island, you're on the Runa Face show.
8: Yeah, Ron, uh, the governor of Florida is thinking about giving Jim Morrison a uh, pardon for the 1970 conviction.
1: Uh, I heard about this. I don't know whether it's going to happen. and I I know that uh, that people are going back and forth on whether it's a good thing. And Chris Stanley is just excited as hell about it. He wants this conviction to be overturned.
5: Fuck no. He's Hmm? a rock star. He should be fucking banned from places. Or he was a rock star.
1: Come on you want him to keep this on his record hell yeah what if it's the one thing keeping him out of heaven
5: they belong in hell too
1: oh jesus oh everybody has such a great idea towards hell it's badass uh 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ here is Ron in Toronto you're on the Ron Fez show
0: hi Ron Fez how are you good uh big news for me at least with Beachy Bond uh the Cars uh, releasing first new album in uh, 23, 24 years.
1: Now, is this with Todd Rudgren, or are they no, no, no. actually this The Cars the real again? Card. Yeah. The original well, well,
0: Cars. Exactly. Uh, uh,
1: are they going to tour off that?
0: Uh, they say they may, mm-hmm. uh, but of course, uh, the one vocalist, uh, Benjamin Orr, died a few years back, so oh. uh, no bass player. Uh, I guess the keyboardist is doing double duty.
1: So they're just going to play without a bass player?
0: Uh, the the keyboardist is doing the bass on the album, Uh but, uh, the actual keyboards, I guess, if they were to tour, would be, uh, sort of pre-programmed into the synth.
1: Well, the car is a fantastic, uh, If you want to get into them, they have a live album called Cold and Aloof, and it's (laughs) (laughs) basically the way that they would act on stage, where you felt like, I'm sorry, as an audience member, I'm not sure if you guys want me here. Pretty much. All right, thanks, Ron. There you have it, uh. Proving, don't get sad about your bands breaking up, because every single one of them will get back together again. And Paul McCartney, who's doing a a big show here with a Sirius at the Apollo Theater, uh, it's called A a Night of White People in Harlem. It's going to be a fantastic night for everybody. Um, Paul McCartney, here's my prediction. I'm going to do a radio psychic on this.
4: Radio psychic, radio psychic, radio psychic,
1: and I believe that when Ringo dies, Paul will then put the Beatles back together the way they should have been in Paul's uh, mind. So uh, never despair, never worry about uh, the fact that your band is broken up, and oh, I'm never going to. You will see them again, but you will be old first, and so will the band. Uh, But they will all get back together. Uh, Brad, Nashville, you're on the run for this show.
8: Hey, buddies. Uh, got an bun for you? Well,
1: bun. let me hit this then.
8: Ichiban.
1: Ichiban.
0: Number one. Uh, Christina Aguilera was promoting burlesque last night on, on the night show, and it looked like she looked obese. She gained about 30 pounds, had some gelatinous arms, but still sounded good when she sang her song.
1: Well, I would like to, um... Uh... To see some video of that, if anybody can send it in to us, Uh, Chris Stanley will pop it up for me. But I have not uh, seen this last night. Now, this show that they're doing, this movie is burlesque. It seems like uh, what it is, it's like showgirls without any nudity. And um, try watching showgirls on regular TV and just see how awful that is. It's just a hideous night to be spent. Uh, Now, it seems like all the late-night shows are getting all the big stars are showing out because it's late-night wars, uh, where this time they're literally fighting with bullets. And the other night, Bruce Springsteen was on Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon's a great guy. came in, did Unmask with us, did O&A. He's a really good kid. And he's having a lot of fun doing that show. But I was very surprised to see... Bruce Springsteen doing a whole hour with him. Not only that, doing sketches, two live songs, brought out little Stephen. It was a night of celebration, and I'm like, "How did that happen?" I heard this from now. I heard this from a friend of mine, the person behind it all, Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels put that gig together.
5: He's the master. He is it's the master, is he crazy.
1: not? He is the master, and see, that's that's not uh, like any kind of. Uh, Public image where people go, oh Lord, Michael swings a big stick, but in his own way, he gets things done quietly, quietly all the time.
7: That's the way you do it.
1: Uh, this is the uh, Tonight Show footage. Yeah, I'm still waiting Christine for Christine
7: to... Aguilera on the Tonight Show.
1: Thank you. I'm still waiting for her to walk out. It looks like it's on pause. Oh boy, this is not. I just needed to see her. Doesn't need to be all this. <sighs> Yeah, I don't need to hear it at all. Um, no, I don't say any morbidly obese. That's, That's insane.
5: crazy talk. She's hot yeah. as shit. Yeah.
1: She's definitely not morbidly obese. That's an insane fucking person who called in. She's wearing a dress. She's not wearing form-fitting spandex. <laughs> but, uh, no. She looks fine.
5: Very sexy.
1: You're a big fan of hers, huh?
5: Oh, yeah, and she's nearly single. Good for her. Uh, apparently, it's like Lindsay Lohan's ex-girlfriend is actually banging her, apparently. Or some <sighs> weird shit.
1: I don't even understand what that means. Who's Lindsay Lohan's ex-girlfriend?
5: Samantha Ronson. Some like uh, she's some some, D, some Hollywood DJ that goes around and fucking DJ's parties in Hollywood. Apparently, she's just breaking up all these hot
1: broads. All right, so you're telling me she's with Mick Ronson now. Wow, that's exciting news. I'm going to let Bowie know about that. So, uh in the are you gonna go see burlesque or at least steal it and download it?
5: I might just, you know, fast forward through to her parts, you know, download it, just do that give it that treatment.
1: I want you to let me know when you do your boot, come in and do a review. Let me know when she does Genie in a bottle. Okay. Because uh <laughs>
5: Is <a> burlesque song?
1: <laughs> was it that's I think the only song I ever heard of. And then that uh, I'm beautiful and so are you song that everybody likes so much, I think it went to Number one has stayed there for six years. And it would just showed that everybody could get together in a whole uh, big way. Um, all right, there you have it. Our listeners are lying to us in their Ichibans. Um, I need real Ichibans. 866 Ron Zero Fez. 866 Ron Zero Fez. Um, wait, wait, hold on. We've got another update from Blaine, Connecticut. Blaine, what do you got for me?
8: Yeah, you got to see it when she's interviewing with. Um with Jay, when she's got her legs crossed, you see her thighs are so thick and juicy.
1: All right, so you're uh, saying the the problem here is she's standing up and her yeah. legs look perfectly fine, but when she sits down, I'm going to be appalled for some reason.
8: Oh, he... well, well, I well, I like it. Mm. She looks juicy to me.
1: Yeah, mm. you, you like juicy. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll have to right, take you out to get some ribs. Um, well, there she is. She's just singing her little heart out, and she looks uh, fabulous. Uh, Chris Stanley, who is a gigantic fan of hers, uh, thinks she looks just fine. Um,
5: Why is everyone shitting on Christina?
1: Why is everybody out there waving goodbye with her? What the hell just happened? What, do they all get out and wave in the middle of the show? And
7: sounded. It didn't look like she sat down at all on this show. Well, perhaps she
1: sat down before the song. Like you're just getting that one musical thing. But perhaps she came out, did an interview, where you saw her juicy legs, and then you, then she went over. All right, there she is sitting down. All right, this is one of the problems with people saying things about her. It's one of the problems you have when you uh, break out as a star when you're 17, and then people are like, "Well, she put on weight." Like, everyone looks the same way as when they were a junior in high school.
5: Why are you looking at an adult? What the fuck?
1: All right, there's her legs. They look fine to me.
5: This is crazy. Come on, man.
1: Now, of course, we're not looking on high def, which makes everybody look awful. Uh,
5: is that a pockmark?
1: Uh, let's go over here to Thomas. You're my face.
0: Yo, I think if the camera adds 10 pounds kind of thing, she's definitely not as skinny as she used to be, but she's curvy and voluptuous. definitely looking
8: good.
1: All right, so uh, this has uh, become, you know, I almost feel like we're doing top 40 radio here. This has become a much bigger topic than I ever expected on the uh, Rana Fez show. It's almost like we be- uh, America is so used to these judging shows, you know, these kind of uh, shows where you're voting off models and you're voting off singers and you're voting everyone off that we just sit in our homes now and pick apart people. We just start to vote them off stuff.
5: Makes people feel better about themselves. Um, It's
1: like you're shit. The other day, I guess, uh, Marie Osmond went on Oprah. And uh, they had a little clip online, and it was all about her son dying. And she was crying during her Oprah thing, and Oprah was being Oprah. And it was, you know, this uh, big moment. But then when I was reading it online on one of the news sites, they had the talkback section. And the talkback was 100% about, not about, uh, no, let me change it. It was probably 90%. There was about 10% of the people who were writing stuff like losing a child is the most difficult thing in the world. And other people were writing stuff like, I lost the son. I'd never gotten over it. And people were oh, you got to go on. All those type of things. But then 90% of it was her weight. And collagen, where they were saying, look, her upper lip doesn't move. So here's this woman basically laying her heart out about this uh, point, uh, saying that her heart was broken and wanted to make the, the the point that her son wasn't gay and get that out there because I guess some people had said that, uh, just sobbing, sobbing. But people were bringing up the fact that here this 50-year-old woman had put on weight from when she was a... 15 year old girl and i think when she was 15 she used to make herself throw up so there's where we are in the united states of america now uh you could blame it on the internet but i always think people were kind of shitty i always think people were kind of garbagey and this is just a uh chance to to see it lay it out before you tom and madison tom you're on the ron the show
0: Bodies. Hey, how you doing, sports fans? I'm not sure if this are, affects our own East Side Dave, but I had heard yesterday about 1.30, um, one forty five that New Jersey Network, uh, the public broadcasting system there in New Jersey, lost their funding and were giving pink slips to all their employees. So hopefully that's not going to bang on East Side Dave. They're working for public radio over there, but... Uh, we're concerned here in Wisconsin, and we know Eastside's a talented guy, and uh, come
1: on. Maybe we should have all our listeners uh, send money into public radio? Is that the way to keep Dave
5: going? It's specifically New Jersey? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I also think, Ronnie, that your interview with, with the author was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I just, I, 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 I go home every day and tell my wife how fantastic of an interviewer you are, and she sometimes gets sick of it, but... My God, that that I went to the public library and ordered the book. Uh, it's just
1: fantastic. Oh, uh, Phil, uh, Phil, well, you know, here's the weird thing. I mean, like, you can see, like, what a brave guy is, but then the, the book is going to fucking weird the shit out of you. How I I he, make how, no mistake about his books are fucking crazy.
0: How did you mean that it changed your life? I mean, just oh,
4: in the attitude? Or?
1: Yeah, just him being a real man with all these things that were going on in his life horrible stuff he was able to focus outside of himself and you Come just don't this. see it you just hey. don't see it there was no excuses no woe is me no i didn't need, and he had made a life for himself which for me you know since i i don't know where i got this from but always the the fear of being paralyzed was in the back of my head where i thought if i get paralyzed i i, I don't want to live you know if, it
0: it was interesting too, Ronnie, how he took you in. How how you know it, it sounded like it was almost an instant friendship. I don't know if you'd met the man before. No, but. I hadn't
1: met him before, uh, but he had sent me the the galleys afterwards, and I talked to him on the phone after. But yeah, he was such a street guy that you would have uh, felt instantly comfortable with him. I mean, what's made some uh, a great interviewer, and he was able to take that nature that he had into like death row. And get these people to open up about himself. You know,
0: amazing. I'm a, I'm a truck driver, but I'm a smarter guy from listening to your show, fellas. Oh, I appreciate
1: yeah. it, Tom. I really Thank do. You. Peace. Uh, I heard a lot of nice things uh, about back about that uh, yesterday. Um, but I have to tell you, when I you know heard the news uh, about him, um, it was a you know a sad thing. Even though I knew that this was coming, you know, even though that I knew that. And he knew, you know, he was like, I have a killer stuck in me. I'm not going to beat this. But then they have the second irony that he gets cancer. So why he's in this thing, he's going through chemo. And the weird thing about it that I thought is like, why did he even want to go through chemo? You know, why keep battling? Uh, and I think his new book will be out in January. Um, and I'm going to see if we can't maybe get somebody in to uh, promote that, whether it's his wife or one of his friends. And then uh, supposedly the book is going to be made uh, with Mickey Rourke. But the weird thing about that interview is even after we were done the interview, we sat in here and talked for a while. And mainly it was just like New York stuff and, you know, movies that we dug. I mean, he was a really in-the-moment guy, even though every moment would have been difficult to deal with. No excuses out him though no. real real man uh Phil Carlo, Philip Carlo, pick up his books um if you can um, here is Jeremy Jeremy, you're on the running fest show
0: hey uh, the comment off of what you were saying, how we pick all these people apart, you know uh Christine Aguilera and whats their nuts there, but the reason why everybody picks them apart is because they parade themselves in front of us. You know, one of them's doing Jenny Craig and, you know, showing off what they've done with their life and everything else. And that's why we pick them apart, because they put themselves in the spotlight.
1: Um, yeah, I guess there's some part of that, but it's still a reflection on the person doing it. I mean, if somebody's talking about losing their son and... You're sitting there talking about their weight or the fact that they might have had some kind of plastic surgery. The human experience is now gone for you, Jeremy. It's fucking gone. You are not uh, a part of humanity anymore. You're some kind of a strange fucking critic sitting in the dark attacking people. I mean, it's, fucking, it's insane in a while. Now, there's plenty of times. I think if you go dancing with the, on the stars or whatever, you expect to be made fun of. My only point was, here's this woman who was talking about her son committing suicide. She was obviously destroyed by it. I don't know anything about her. But I don't know how as a human being you can't look over and be somewhat touched and see yourself as a human. And you could end up losing anyone that you love at any moment of the day. And while this is being discussed, weight issues or whatever, upper lip moves or not, there's something fucking insane about the way we've gotten. Um, here's a radio shark calling us, Frank from New York. You're on the Fest show. Oh he hates it. He hates when people know who he is. Rumpelstiltskin is back in his hole. <laughs> so sad. Who's working the phones today?
5: That's not Draft House.
1: Not Draft House is the shit right now.
5: Yeah, he's fucking lining it up.
1: I might want to change his fucking name to Geter with the heater because he has, he has burnt down the radio shark like nobody before.
5: Yeah, he's making him look like a real asshole.
1: Uh, Ranzo, you're on Rana Fez. Uh,
5: yeah, I thought, uh, you know, the interview was great yesterday
0: when, you know, even the first time I watched it, but I thought it was funny. At the funeral, they said, Tony's Danza stood up and started yelling at the priest. He's like, yo, they're talking too much about God. And meanwhile, you're not talking about this great man. So he got up and he... He pushed the priest aside and started talking about Phil Carlo. Like you know, what a great guy he was. It was pretty funny.
1: It was, um, it was an interesting uh, thing to happen. It was an interesting thing to happen. I think Phil Carlo would have got a kick out of it. I really do. And Tony Danza, there's no figuring that guy out.
5: When I read that, I was like, what the hell is he doing?
1: But seriously, I think I I would want a guy to do that for me or I would do it for a buddy of mine. That'd be awesome. Because I have been to funerals before where uh, a priest or a preacher had never met the person and is just talking about, you know. And even when they get into a wonderful person who did that, well, maybe they weren't. Maybe that had no reason at all about why people cared about him. Um, the weird thing is, is that night that he did that is the night that I saw him over at Elaine's. Remember when I just told Yo, you? Yeah, yeah. I After, saw Tony Danza. Uh... <laughs> that was the day. And he was there with some chick and a couple of buddies. And uh, looking like a million bucks. Hadn't nice. shaved for the day. Which was a perfect kind of a Don Johnson thing he was rocking. Um,
5: Go for Tony Danza. And Philip Carlo, I guess.
1: Yeah, I I think Philip Carlo would have dug it in a big way. Um, But then the other thing they said is that Mickey Rourke couldn't make it, but set some six-foot...
5: Giant arrangements.
1: Which is really (laughs) funny. Like, not everybody gets that, you know, but again, like, you know, sometimes that's considered tacky, but I bet Phil Carlo, being a guy from Brooklyn, would have loved it, because those Brooklyn guys always try to have the biggest flower arrangements. And when Gotti died... There was, like, somebody would just send this flower arrangement, like a martini glass, <laughs> and the next one would come in as a giant cigar, and then cards as flowers. I don't know, like, like it was a fucking Rose Bowl parade for the guy. Uh, and I guess if you're working there, you know, you're working at the flower place, and some um, mob guy... Fucking comes in and need this perfect flower arrangement. You must be sweating those flowers. You're just oh, scared yeah. shitless the whole time. Brian Rochester, you're on the Ron Fez show.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Ronnie. The way you set up the interview yesterday, you said that the guy couldn't breathe. Uh, he couldn't breathe while he was, you know, talking. So, how did you not hyperventilate during that interview? Because I was yesterday.
3: Um,
1: it was just because of the vibe that he got off. But like. Obviously, when you first see another human in that situation, you're, like, stunned and you take it on. But his mind was so much bigger than what had happened to his body. And I just got really caught up. And if you notice when we do that, uh, we went through all this stuff with the book, and I didn't bring up the condition that he was in, and then finally, when he brought it up, we started to talk about it, but at a certain point, I'm like, well, this has nothing to do with the book that he's written, but then his next book was about him living with Lou Gehrig's disease while he was doing stuff about killers, Uh, so we went in that direction a little bit, but oddly enough, it was never top of his mind.
0: Right, it was just the way you set up the interview before you played it yesterday, and so I was just waiting for him, knowing that he wasn't breathing, and his answers seemed kind of long-winded.
1: <laughs> yeah, he would. But however long his air would hold out, uh, that's what he would do. And then immediately he needed – and I noticed, like, towards the end of it, he just said, he went, like, excuse me, I need some air. And I'm like, well, maybe this is going on a little too long for him, whatever. I was just trying to take the feeds off him. But, you know, beyond the condition, I think that even – Long before that, you would have met him and thought, well, this is an impressive guy. He wasn't one of those guys, I don't think, that once something happened to him, he became impressive. He just kind of lived that way. And as a matter of fact, uh, the next time I talked to him on the phone, we ended up talking about his younger days in this bar that he used to hang out, uh, that Bruce Willis. It's a very famous bar in New York where Bruce Willis used to be the bartender before he became Bruce Willis. And just like you could tell from even the stories he was telling, he was a guy that just appreciated life. Just appreciated life and being involved with other people. And uh, I don't know, it was one of those things. I was just never going to forget Phil Carlo. Here's um, here is uh, here's Peter. Peter, you're on the Run Face Show. Yeah, my friend of mine, he,
0: he was a biker and he died. And uh, at his funeral, all his fucking buddies from the motorcycle club.
3: The Diablos up here in Massachusetts. They fucking showed up with a Harley Davidson flower arrangement. It was the size of his fucking chopper. They fucking brought the thing in. Three guys carried the fucking thing in. It was all made out of flowers. It was fucking so tacky. Oh, it was great.
1: Yeah, those things are always uh, hysterical. Always really great. And, you know, I used to think, oh, God, this is so tacky. But the fact that America's kind of become tacky anyway... It just works for me. All right, we're going to take a break here. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. How are you doing today, Fez?
7: Uh, I'm doing
5: okay.
1: Great seeing you. Uh, Lily's stopping in today?
5: Yes, yeah, she uh, signed it downstairs, actually, a couple minutes ago.
1: I know, yeah. So I guess uh, she's heading back to Rochester next week. Looks like it. Fez, I'd love to have you involved in the show today. What's it take? Do I got to drop the F-bomb?
7: No, no, no. I, I, I'm here. I'll get involved. Give me a big
1: pound. Give me a big pound on that. All right, we'll be right back in a few moments. Uh, Lily's going to be sitting in with us. It's a and Fez show.
2: Ronnie B. Fezzy W. Ronnie Fez. Sirius One Ninety Seven XM Two Hundred Two. The Virus.
1: Right now for twenty bucks. It is the Ron and Fez show. Eight six six Ron zero Fez. Eight six six Ron zero Fez. Well, well, well. Look who's back here with us. It's Lily and Pigtails. How are you, Lily? I'm
9: doing well. How are you? Uh,
1: you're heading back to Rochester, Wayne.
9: Um, I'm going to be in New York until Thanksgiving, through Thanksgiving, and wow. then I'm heading back up.
1: So all your Rochester friends missing you?
9: Yeah. Some of them are.
1: Some of them are not?
9: <laughs> well, the ones who are not, I'm assuming, are not my friends. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah i got to get in a world where I have enemies. I just don't have it. It's fun. Yeah, you know what? I think you have to interact
9: more to have enemies, and Mm -hmm. I just... uh, I tend to not trust people who don't have at least one enemy, or don't hate at least one person. It's kind of weird. I find people like that to be slightly phony. Well, the relatives count? No, they they don't count. They should be hated. Yeah. Okay. It's like a known thing. You're supposed to hate your family.
1: I'm trying to think if I have a single person in my life that I hate. I don't think that I do.
9: But there's never been anybody that's come in your life that you've hated? Like, they don't necessarily oh, yeah. have to be oh, in your life anymore. Oh, gotcha. but... Bin Laden. Oh, okay. Bin Laden, I can't fucking yeah. stand. Yeah, he's a bad guy.
7: See, I can't count him. Relative.
1: Um, no, I don't <laughs> think I even, when I'm done with someone, I'm just done. That's the end of it. Yeah. They almost get what I call the banishment. Yeah. And I, I, but I, I, I do wish them to go on and do whatever they want with their life. I don't have some kind of uh I'm not uh, I'm not as mean as God where I'm like okay I want you to burn forever.
9: Right. Right, but the cutting people out of your life, yeah. that's I I like doing that too. Yeah. I don't think it's healthy to not cut people out of your life. You're supposed to cut the strings once in a while. Well, I don't make even room for new people, you know. I
1: don't even give it a thought. I just go okay, this is done and right. that's it. And then if I hear that they did good stuff or bad stuff, I have not a lot of feeling about it. So that I guess that's a form of hate? Yes. Oh. Higgs, which way? Do you have anyone that you hate in your life?
5: Uh, they're no longer in my... There's a couple of people I actually literally do hate. But these are people that fuck me over in shitty dealings. But, um, and these are people that I've, that I've lost contact with. But, okay. But, but, but like, in my life now, no, I don't have people I hate. Like, I hate that guy. I'm gonna go fucking hang out with him. No, fuck that shit.
1: So you don't hang out with
5: people that you hate, but then you're also not obsessed with people that you hate? Uh, No, but it, I'm not obsessed, but if they come along my path, I'll fucking, you know, I'm not gonna actively look out for them. But if... By chance of happenings, maybe yeah. I'll fuck
9: but if you him. heard something about that person, like your friends, like, "Hey, did you hear about so and so?" Would you be like, "Fuck that guy! I hate that guy!" I can't yeah, tell I, I don't, you don't that have that. I, I don't have
1: that. Oh, I know? have that. <laughs> yeah. um, because I've met too many people that are still, you know, people. Some of the people that I, I'm like, well, I'm not going to, you know, keep on doing dealings with them. But they, you know, go on and do things that become somewhat public. And no, I don't have any bad feelings about that. Here's Doctor Katz, Yoram Fez. Yeah, I'd like
0: to apply to be the uh, nemesis of Ron. I I hate you, man.
7: I I do listen to your show.
1: Uh, Let me just say something, Uh, Fez. Don't you hate Dr. Katz? (laughs)
7: Despise him. Isn't he like a
1: dick? Uh, Hey, Dr. I hope you eat shit and die, Dr. Katz. Something like that. Is that good? That's good. Yeah. You know who's really stupid is that Dr.
9: Katz. Yeah, fuck that guy.
1: Is he even a real doctor? Is he just a podiatrist? I think he's a cartoon. What they, I like Dr. Dogs a lot better. I wouldn't even go see him. Don't go see Dr. Katz. He's bad. <laughs> he's a very bad doctor. I can't think of any more stuff to say about him. Um, here's uh, Aaron. Aaron, you're on hey, uh Hey,
0: buddy. Yeah, I agree with you. I also hate Bin Laden.
1: But, and uh,
0: Dr. Yeah, Katz. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just, it was terrible. Uh, I, uh, when us talks about Philip Carlo, it seems like he has moved on a little bit, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, I had emailed him a couple times after uh, your interview with him, and, uh, it was just really great, like, he emailed me back. Uh, the way he was able to, like, talk about uh, Kuklinski in the one book, like, with, without just, like, painting him as, like, a monster, just kind of deconstructing him, and, uh, there was definitely some empathy in the book that he was able to bring out. I was really
1: impressed well, it was very weird because he said he didn't empathize or like he felt like as the person there the the kind of witness to them, he didn't have any judge at all, which actually, I thought as a reader it fu- that fucked with my head even a little more. You know talking about cutting up bodies and shit and then not acting like it's horrendous it's just happening but Carlo was uh, Phil Carlo was great about writing back to people because he had a ton of time. You know what I mean? It was not like he was going to be out doing other stuff, and he loved talking about this stuff. Um, I was just telling uh, Fez during the uh, interview that, uh, I mean, during the last commercial, that what I want to do is when uh, Phil's next book is coming out, uh, maybe to bring in some of his buddies um, and talk about him on the air for a while. Because he was he was such a great fucking guy. Um, here's John. John, you're on the Run of Fez show.
0: Hey, Ron. Hey, I'm uh, pretty sure the only reason you don't hate anyone is because all those people are probably
1: dead. That is true. And I do have to act like, oh, no, I was friends with him. I guess that's why I was the last person seen with him. And I remember I told him, I said, be careful. That's the last thing I remember saying. I had the weirdest feeling. Like, Be
9: careful. Um, no, trying to think if I have any of this hate stuff. But death does sort of change your views on people. You know, as soon as they die, you're like, oh, well, maybe they weren't such a bad person. You know, I don't think about the finality of death.
1: I don't know, because like I also don't like leap into the other thing of they were my best buddy because they died. You know, like Phil Carlin just, you know, brought him up because just that one day and seeing, uh, you know, meeting him, uh, I thought it was an amazing way for a person to live. Right. He's almost the anti Fez, where his body was destroyed, but his mind was optimistic.
9: Mm-hmm.
1: Where Fez is 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 Fez. Yeah. Um. How how long of a list of people that you hate do you have?
9: Oh, it's not that long. I've I've kind of let go of a lot of the hate, but there's certain people who've done things, you know, that you're just like, I don't know if I can ever really kind of let go of that.
1: I was while I was sitting here, I made up uh, a list of people I hate, and I just have Rob Cross, <laughs> who's our PD, and then any of Rob Cross's friends, which I wrote down.
7: Hate by association.
1: I don't even know. I just already think that they have bad judgment. I just think that they must be awful people. <laughs> and then for the list of friends, I put down people that don't get along with Rob Cross. Um. Here's uh, our buddy Bill. Bill, you're a Manifest.
0: Uh Hello, everyone. Uh, Lon, I remember hearing that interview the first time, but hearing it again yesterday and hear, hearing what you had to say was amazing. But what really affected me was hearing a man who is so who has
1: is so eloquent and has so much to say, and you only have a limited amount of time before he runs out of breath. Yeah. And the whole time, I felt short of breath myself, and.
0: I couldn't even imagine. I mean, that. thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, you know, well, uh, obviously, like, the last time that, you know, that we did the interview, I didn't set that part of it up because I was just treating him like an author who had a book coming out. But I really don't I, – I really did want to do that after I found out that he passed away, just to point out to people the amount of uh, strength and willpower that he had. But I will always remember that as he was running out of breath and I was watching his last things – it was almost like a gasping thing and his wife had to be right there to mm-hmm. give him more oxygen and while that was happening i mean imagine going from like a choking feeling uh and then you're getting oxygen and then somebody's asking you while that's happening about your work you have to then reget it back together and then go back and answer that question incredibly intelligently It is an amazing guy is yeah. an ama- and his wife beautiful amazing and uh, it was like Seriously, one of the, the the greatest things in radio or in my life, just to to meet those people and and see that you know what the human spirit can be. Right, that's um, an amazing thing. That and you the, can
9: acknowledge that when it comes into your life, you know.
1: Yeah, it's you have to be moment. able to. You know, there is uh, and, and maybe I'll I'll reset the table on the RBI thing and 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 point this out. But it's very funny that you said that there was a book out a few years ago. Uh, They made it into a movie, too, called A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints.
9: I think we saw that. um, We went to the premiere of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 screening of it.
1: I always love the title of that. And it really is true that you never know the people who come through your life. And for whatever reason, they could give you a piece of advice or more likely a piece of them just gets kind of left with you Mm -hmm. where you say, yeah, this is this is a way to to live, you know. And sometimes it's. You know, whatever teacher you had, like everybody, like through all those shitty years of school, there's normally like one teacher. That people go, all right, that lady will really kind of moved me over here. Could be somebody that you work with. But sometimes it's just somebody you meet for a moment. And you know? they might
9: not be aware of it either. Yeah. You know, they might give you advice and you're like, wow, that changed my life. And they didn't even think it would change your right. life, you know.
1: Or it could even be something that you've heard before a million times, yeah. but it was just presented uh, at, at that moment. Um, and it's very, very strange. It's very, very strange across the the books like that. You never know how that's going. Um, here's Joe. Joe in Boston. You're in my Fez.
0: Hey, you guys were talking about uh, hating people before.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't hate people. I just seem to feel better when they're not around.
1: That's not a that's not a bad way to live your life. But it it's certainly better than to stay. And that thing, and I also hate that thing. If you have somebody in your life that you act like you are friends with, but you two are competitive together,
9: frenemies. Is oh, is that what call that's it. called? Yeah, it's called a frenemy. I didn't know a that. Friend and an enemy. Yeah.
1: Uh, so that's the person that you're always trying to outdo. Absolutely, yeah. And I hate when you get around people like, uh, oh, we're having beers now. We're playing foosball, and suddenly it's turned serious, and the guy's like, <laughs> yeah. "Fuck this!" And you're like. Wait a minute, this is no measure of how we are as human beings. You're overreacting to this. All right, frenemies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Hicks is going to be my frenemy. I'm very jealous of the fact that he doesn't have heat and that he's allowed to smoke inside.
5: (laughs) Yeah, all right. Okay, you can come over. You can come over and fucking hang out and smoke then. I will. I'm going to come over and use your place as a cigar club. All right, cool.
1: We could start a tobacco speakeasy here in New York City. That's actually a fucking great idea. Some place that you can go in, smoke, but not pay cigar club prices because they have cigar clubs in New York. And you're like, "Oh, that's great. How much is this cigar? Fifty-two
5: dollars." And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "No." Is there a cover, or is this over everything? Super overpriced.
1: No, everything's overpriced, uh, and you know the drinks gotta be, are overpriced. You have to pay to sort of be a part of the club. Sometimes too, right? you do. There's some that are open to the public, and um, I'm trying to think of. There's some that just are over the top. I used to have a place that I went to. That well, you've been there before, but he'd rather us never bring it up again. Uh, I was down there not too long ago. They the cops leaned on him so much. That finally there's just an upstairs room now. You can't smoke in there anymore.
9: Oh man. Yeah, it was, it's horrendous.
1: It's horrendous. And Bloomberg wants now to be the president. Yeah. So he could stamp out sugar, tobacco, and music across the United States of America.
9: And put bike lanes in everywhere in the world. A lot of bike lanes it's in a New lot York of bike anymore. Lanes, yeah. Which is great for Ecuadorians.
1: I don't know how anybody else does with
5: it. <laughs> in Williamsburg, they have so many bike lanes. People have to park in the middle of the street now. And there's just bike lanes around the cars. It's more bike lane than road. It's fucking crazy. You see now. that
9: in Chelsea, too. They're, the parking's like in the middle of the road. They like yeah. made these medians, and now there's bike lanes on either side of them.
1: It's just constant bike lanes, which, let's face it, that's nice, but you're not going to ride a yeah. bike every day. Yeah. What the fuck for? I'm a grown man. I
9: can't be riding a bike. I thought I gave that up when I was like 13. I haven't had a car in almost two years, so no. I've only got two wheels. I've got a bike. So it was, Even in Rochester? Yep. I live downtown in Rochester, so it gets me around. There's a downtown in Rochester? Uh, uh, yeah, surprisingly there is. I did not know it's not that. not that big, but it, there is a downtown. Um...
1: Here's uh, Ford. You're on my Fez.
8: Hi, buddy.
0: Can we get an update on Fez's heart? Only because, if it's true about the dying in threes, Ronnie, you've had two people who've touched your life recently.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't think of that. Artie, Mm. Phil, who's my next? I honestly think... I'm starting to have a feeling it could be stink nuts. I think he could be the next one to go.
5: Stink nuts!
1: Stink nuts! Um, I don't know if I believe in the dying in threes. Do you fall for that? Because I see it happen in fours too many times.
9: People just die too often, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, it's they just, do. It's
9: too often, if you start and, counting.
1: You know, and then I don't know what the age is. I think it might be 30 where it stops being a shock to you, and you're just like, yeah, they're dead. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. It's almost like if you watch a war movie... And some of those guys don't care who died. That's how you eventually get as a human being. You're just like, well, people die.
9: Yeah, just sort of desensitized to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: And it's weird, too. It's weird because at a certain point, you're like, so maybe the living part isn't all that big of a deal. You know, there's no reason to make such a big deal about being alive.
9: Well, I think that's kind of what I'm going through right now. I think there's, like, that quarter-life crisis. I've read
1: like, about this now. Yeah,
9: I've done a tremendous amount of reading on it, and I definitely think that I'm I'm having this quarter right, what's, life a, what's in the
1: quarter-life crisis?
9: Um, where you're sort of just questioning, mm-hmm. um, you know, your values, and you're questioning about your wants and your needs and all these things in your life. Do I really want this job? Do I really want to settle down and have a family? And, and now, so I think more than ever, there's so many more options right. that we have. As, you know, 20-something-year-old kids, kids coming out of college have the world. You know, they can do anything they want. And so that scares a lot of people, you know. it's not Too of, much freedom, yeah. Too much freedom kind of scares people, and they don't know what to do with it. You know, it used to be planned out. You know, you go to college, you get married, you have kids, you get a right. job, and that was it. But, you know, so.
1: See, I think that's why this latest recession might be good for people. Because maybe we're going to start living like Frenchmen. Or we're just like, well, I'd like to take summers off. Yep. Uh, I like to three-hour lunches. Yeah, I like to sleep really late. Uh, I'd like to be drunk in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. And because when you really think about it. Uh, what the fuck are you know what is the big deal to work so hard to get an extra what
9: yeah my dad's cousin from france is actually staying with us right now Mm -hmm. and uh he's like i don't think i could ever move to america because all our family's trying to get them to move here you know and he's like no way i I could never do the american lifestyle it's just too stressful you know
1: the only thing that we seem to ever like get behind here is making more money Like, if if your friend says to you, I'm going to kind of sell all my stuff and move into a smaller place and work less time and spend more time, like, painting or learning the guitar or being with my kids, we go, poor fucking failure. You poor fucking failure. We only – and it's – you know, even I try to kick out of it, but you got raised that way that more and running harder is better And, you know, that's it. Uh, I saw a thing. I guess a guy was on CNN the other day. And he said, no, I'm not going to have children because I'm an environmentalist and kids are bad for the world. More people are bad for the world. And this went up online. Everyone was, like, you know, uh, aggressive about it. But it's very, very interesting to think, are you helping the world at all by bringing another kid into it? And the answer is no. And yet... If you came into it, in here today and you said, "Oh, I'm not married. The guy ran off. I'm never going to see him again. But I'm pregnant. I'm keeping the baby." We'd all go, "Yay! <laughs> oh, that's
9: great!" She's so strong. Right. If
1: her. your yeah. mom called you and said, "I'm having a baby," everybody'd be like, "Yay! This is good." We always celebrate that fact, no matter what. If anyone tells us like it's a good thing, yeah. Yet we've never even sat down for a second to go, "Why?" Is that a good thing? Yeah. Is it really important?
9: Well, I don't think people really have kids with the idea that they want to produce human beings that could possibly contribute something to society. You know what I mean? They Mm -hmm. just think that they need to have kids and that's it. Like instead of just really raising them to contribute something great you know cuz most most people will grow up and use all our resources and contribute absolutely nothing.
7: I don't know how many people even think about, you know, any reason of having kids. I think I would guess probably in the most part it just happens. Well, you don't think there's planned babies? Oh, no, I think they're out there, but I I would guess the majority is All right, we got pregnant.
1: No, I think in 1958 that was true. Uh Uh-huh. But I don't think because you have so much contraception and, you know, the fact that women are having babies later, you don't really run into as many high school kids. I think most kids are planned now. Never by the male, but when the woman says, I want to have kids, the guy's like, okay, yeah, Yeah. all right, I will. Um, But no, I think... I think that there are so many options that, no, um, people do say to themselves,
9: no, I'm just going
1: to, I'll have the baby when I want to have it. Because women are so much older now. Oh, absolutely.
9: And because of that, they have to pay, you know, a tremendous amount of money because sometimes they can't have one naturally. Right. So they're paying, what, $20,000 maybe for an in vitro, you know? So... I think that's somebody who really wants a kid. If you're spending that much, yeah, they definitely much, you
1: know? do. They definitely decided they uh, they do. Um, here is Sean Albany. You're on Hey,
0: Ronnie. Yeah. Hey, I lived in Paris for a little bit when I was in fifth grade, and going to school there was a giant shock. You only went to school Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and or Thursday and Friday. You had Wednesdays off. You could either spend it with your family. Or you could go on a. The school had some kind of field trip or event plan that the kids could go to. Then, during lunch, lunch was two hours, and generally everybody went home and ate lunch with their family, had a sit down lunch, and then went back to school. And each area there, I, I lived in an area called Boulogne Billancourt, and. Each area there has its own school, so classes are small. The schools are small. Everything's within walking distance. Most families work within walking distance of their house.
9: Don't so they every- pay for you to go to university, there.
1: too? Pardon? What is this, the Michael Moore show? Yeah, I- is that where we are right now? <laughs> Everybody just is Michael Moore with this thing? We love France. <laughs> i got to take this Bray off, particularly if uh, we have guests coming later. Uh, Charlie, you're on Fez.
4: Hey, Ronnie. Hey, Fez. Hey. Did Fez just say that most pregnancies are unplanned?
1: Yeah, he did, but I don't. Uh, you know, we did talk about it after. I don't think that's true anymore. I think it used to be that way, but not that's, anymore.
0: Yeah, that's crazy talk. I mean, that's crazy talking for Fezzi.
1: Yeah, I. Th- there's just a ton of ways not to get pregnant, and then of course you have the option after you get pregnant, whether it's that morning after pill or blah blah, blah or you know have an abortion. So. I think by the time a kid is born, they are wanted, but I went back to society still treats it like... No, I don't know. I guess if somebody starts saying I'm having seven kids, we kind of look at them like oh, they're yeah. nuts. I
9: think where, more than three is like, oh, okay.
1: Where the nah, Catholics yeah. used to just pump them out. You know, they just sure. pump them out. Uh, Josh, you're on the Run and show. Hey, buddy. Hey, Lily. What's going on? Hey. Hello.
0: Um, it's kind of like For me, I graduated college right before the recession started, and the company that I was working for during college offered me a job with great pay. Now here I am five years later. I can't leave because in this economy, you look around and say, there's nowhere else you can get this kind of money. So for people who got stuck in it, you know, I'm stuck in a job that I don't know if I want to be in the rest of my life, but right now it's not really an option.
9: You know, I lost my job over the summer, at the end of the summer, and i got to be honest, I've never really been happier. I have no job, I have no man in my life, but I... It's okay. Like, life is okay. I've got my health and, you know.
1: Now, are you it's just, okay.
9: They just got to reassess. Now I'm like, maybe I don't even want to do radio. I'm just trying to look at it as a blessing. You know, maybe I need to be somewhere else. Is
1: this because of those books you were reading? Those... <laughs> what books? The
9: midlife crisis? Mid- uh, the uh, quarter life crisis?
1: Which, by um, the way, yours would be great if you lived to 120. <laughs> then you are having a quarter life <laughs> crisis.
9: It can be in the age. 25 to 35 is the age oh, group. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. that's the age group.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Here's uh, Mike. Mike Manifez.
0: Yeah, Ronnie. I gotta thank you because up until now, I thought my 20-year-old son was just being a lazy prick. Turns out he's living the life of a Frenchman because he was away from home from the time of 17, working out west, and he decided to come home and pretty much just smoke and drink, sleep till noon, and and lay about. But now I know that he's just trying to be a Frenchman. Which Maybe he's
1: a, we a poet. A we don't know. He may be a poet.
0: That's what that's what I'm
1: thinking so well, you know it is it weird though that there are times in your life where you do need the thing that Lily's talking about where you just need to take yourself out for a bit uh Fez and I had uh some time where we were out of work, and I said, I'm not going to you know look that hard for a while, and then we're you know then we would restart small and figure out what we'd want to do. And if we didn't have that period, we never would have went to New York City and everything else changed. But I laid around for a while and just was like, what do I want to do next? You know, and Fez would start coming around. Hey, are we going to do anything? And I'm being like, I don't know yet. And he's like, I think we should, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I think you've had enough time. (laughs) And isn't it weird? Like, Fez was the pushy one Mm -hmm. in those days. And I was like, I'm not totally sure uh, what I want to do. But you spend that time reading and reevaluating. Sure. And particularly in this kind of work, it it you know, then you can come back in and do the kind of show that you you know want to do. Which, in no time at all, it gets fucking. Dis- you never get to do the show that you want to do. Right. Something always comes up, and normally it's your own fault. You can blame everybody else, but normally that's your own fault. Um. Let's go over here to um, Justin, Phil. You're in my fez.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. Ronnie, I think you're crazy, man. I, I would say that that most children are not planned. I think it's it's economically based. I'd say m- maybe uh, upwardly mobile middle class families plan pregnancies, but I mean, if you look at the statistics in the city, I mean, you got you know.
1: It's a very good point. point. You know what? You're right. I was just treating that as a white person.
0: It's, I wouldn't even say it's it's a the racial thing. I think it's it's economic. I mean, in the
3: inner city, same
1: thing. You know, Across, yeah, across the board. When you're saying inner cities, you don't mean inner city white people, because inner city white people are fucking loaded. So well, I would say,
3: uh, well, Hispanic. Why can't we
1: just say, yeah, there are probably Hispanic and black people that are still have an accidental uh, pregnancies. It's you're it's 100% celebrated. correct. That's I why celebrated. I'm I'm going through the cities trying to teach people how to use condoms. Me and B. Palin. Oh, wait, I got myself confused with situation again. Um, here's uh, Rob. You're on
0: What's up, buddy? It's yeah. Ron. Um, Ron, I just have a quick question for you. When you were talking about guide to recognizing your saints,
2: yeah,
0: uh, and Lily, you you were really right on point saying that other people may not even know the impact they have. Um, Ron, you have a tremendous impact on other people's lives every day, and legit, like you, you told me about Joseph Campbell and a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, when people bring it up to you, you you really downplay
3: it. So, how do you how do you reconcile those two things together?
1: Well, it's first of all it wouldn't be it wouldn't be my thing if you if I, you know, brought up a book and then you went and read it. I mean, this is the first time I ever heard that, so there was no way for me to sit around and brag about that. Ladies and gentlemen, but I'm the person in the book, who I turned general, on Staten like Island as some authors. Um I don't know if I have an impact on people's lives. I mean some people tend to listen for a little while or some people tend to tape it, but um you know, it maybe through some of, you know, of introducing them to other things in life, perhaps there's some of that. But I think everyone does that. All right. Thanks. I don't <laughs> want to take that as a, as a negative thing back and forth.
9: You've had an impact on my life. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I
1: had no idea. Absolutely. That. Yeah. Well, you realize we were drunk that night. <laughs> and that, I thought we both said, put that out of the way.
7: Right. I'm shocked she remembers. Mm.
9: I meant more professionally and
7: personally. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, well that's very
9: nice to hear. Mm-hmm.
1: That's extremely nice to hear. Um let's go over here to uh Dovey here on the Run and Fest Show.
8: Hey Ronnie, I got a you down for you. Then let me hit this. Happy birthday happy birthday Mickey Mouse. In nineteen twenty eight Steamboat woolly came out. I think it's eighty two years ago.
2: Mm.
1: 82 years ago, and has never made anyone laugh. No one ever laughs at Mickey Mouse. It's a very strange thing. Uh, Mike, Delaware, you're Yeah,
0: good morning, buddies and Lily. Uh, look, there's no coincidence. Lily's out of work for a reason. She belongs on this show. You need to make her part of the show. She's smarter, more courteous, and better to look at and listen to Than Eastside Dave or that Bobo Hicks you got
5: there. Let's go fuck yourself, cocksucker, huh? Well,
1: you're not proving the point there, Pepper. (laughs) I don't give a shit. I will say this: Pepper is a little easier on the eyes. (laughs) Thank you.
9: (laughs) I
5: appreciate that. You know,
1: Lily, do you know that there are plenty of women that write to me about Pepper though? outstanding women that are interested in pepper
9: oh yeah i can absolutely understand that pepper's got this allure to him yeah he does there's this bad boy like i said the last time i was here he's got that long hair and it's just like he doesn't give a shit and there's something very alluring about that to a woman now at first
1: Mm -hmm. but if you're in a relationship five years in and the guy doesn't give a shit then you're in a horror story yeah then you're in a living walking nightmare and I'm just pointing it out to the women. If you do like pepper as much as you think, one night stand is the way to go.
9: Yeah, and then you're like looking for your under, you know, with the mattress on the floor amongst all the crap on, you know. What mattress? You know? <laughs> Um, Here's the thing.
1: Pepper is like a bull weevil. It doesn't matter where he goes, he'll just chew his way through. Why are you so pissed off? Even sitting there, what are you looking at on that computer screen? That's so important.
5: i have gone a lot of different directions today. I'm a little understaffed. (laughs) Rustin had to switch out with people. Why didn't you? Steve Tyson's. Call the LNA
1: staff and get a full time person to come in here.
5: I got. I got under control. They're all well rested.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of them. They love to come in and do uh, extra stuff. Okay. You could have called an E-Rock or somebody. They love the pitch in.
9: I got it. He hates asking for help.
1: He does. Mm-hmm. But E-Rock is always a big help to us. And as a matter of fact, I want to bring this up. Because it's my job now to be the person who just uh, reads stuff. Okay. I'm going to be the read stuff guy. Um, but we got the big search, search, hurry up and search prizes. Listen to some of these prizes. Uh, Phil Spector, Christmas, signed by Darlene Love. Uh... Crash Stephan Lessard uh, Signed for us Quincy Jones Signed Jason Schwartzman Signed Nice Natalie Cole Signed Marlo Thomas Signed Keith Hernandez Baseball Johnny Knoxville Your favorite (laughs) David Cross The man that you Called the funniest Man in America
9: Haroldo he came in here David Cross
1: I did not mess with
9: him did you really yeah that was I think early on that was one of the names that we were pretty we always wanted David Cross yeah. yeah
1: and then luckily we got him in with just a couple of days
7: wow and
1: then he goes like this how did you prepare all this he couldn't understand how we had an audience and we were all fucking prepped on him I'm like we've been ready for you motherfucker
2: yeah.
1: uh he's got a hysterical tv show out now too um Avatar signed by the producer, Lenny and Squiggy signed by Michael McKean, Ice Cube straight out of Compton, that's my fucking guy. Cube and I were talking about putting the, uh, together um, called uh, White People with Attitudes, I don't know where that comes from, Eddie Izzard signed, uh, Ryan Bigham, Flaming Lips, David Mamet, these are fucking great, Deepak, the man who could have talked to you about your future. And, of course, Brian Wilson and James Cameron, I think, are the two biggies. All signed. All coming up in December on Search, Search, Hurry Up and Search Everyday Prizes.
9: Deepak was great. I loved that interview. I thought he was fantastic.
1: I didn't know he got fucked up in his younger days. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I couldn't imagine him mm-hmm. all fucked up. Just he's wasted. he's so spiritual now, you know? He is the person I think has probably done more to bring, like, the East and Western philosophies together. because. Yeah. Most of those guys just act like, well, the, you know, our society blows, but he's like, no, making money is really good, but you could also feel good about yourself Mm -hmm. where now you're just, you're Jack Kerouac, you're thumbing your way around America sleeping with who knows who.
9: Yeah. Because the idea of like having money makes you evil came from somewhere, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, that person's rich. So they have to be a terrible person. You know, do you think everybody thinks that there's, I think a lot of people have that, you know, that prejudice against people or is money.
1: that jealousy to a certain extent I, Well, I, I hate the the old money people they can't help it but they come out obnoxious
9: but very few people who are millionaires have actually inherited it most people who have right? money will make it themselves yeah i think it's less than 10 percent of people who are millionaires have actually inherited well, see,
1: it see, the problem is i live on the upper east side where it's right. running more like 70 or 80 percent because some of those old families are just out of touch but, yeah, I like nothing better than seeing, like, a street Jewish guy who makes a lot of money, yeah. and he's still laying deli plates out and True being America's obnoxious yeah. with it. It's always funny. Um, let's go over uh, to John. once he ask Lily a question. Go ahead.
4: Hey,
0: Ron. How are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of was agreeing with Lily. I definitely feel
4: like I'm going through a quarter-life crisis right now. Uh, 25 years old, I just switched jobs. Uh, I was three years from a job after college wondering if, you know, I was looking to buy a house, and I wasn't. And then I put effort to join the military,
8: and I didn't, and I just took a new job and moved up here to New Hampshire.
9: Yeah, you're in it. So, you're all fucked up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you're all, all fucked up,
8: all. John. I'm all fucked up. I'm fucked up now. You know, i got to get the Phil and Jerry's in
0: me. But my point is I, I wanted to figure out, you know, what, what Williams was reading or, or, you know, what she kind of found out about it, because it, it definitely feels like a quarter-life crisis.
9: Um, I don't know the answer to it. I think that we're all supposed to come to our own answers, you know, and and sort of go from there. But, you know, I've just done a, done a little bit of reading on it online. I haven't, you know, I'm not an expert on it or anything, but it was just something that I, I saw and go, oh, I think I'm in this and I wanted to know more about it. But I think you're being aware of it, I think, is probably step number one and then going yeah. from there.
0: Yeah, definitely am aware, you know, it's like, well, what are you, do you settle down, do you buy a house, do you do this, do you, like, what the
1: fuck? You, Um, you guys should be called Generation Baby Shoes, (laughs) because you're just running around still in your baby shoes. Uh, Kyle, you're on the run of fez show. Kyle, we got you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you and Lily sound like a million bucks today, guys.
1: And Fez.
0: And Fez. But, uh, hey, man, you got to keep Lily on the show. You guys have such a good back and forth. And Eastside Dave was the comedic relief. But, I mean, Pepper Hicks is and Fez. an uneducated idiot. All right,
1: um, what what about
5: Pepper? Uh,
0: he, he's uneducated, man. He's, he's just a yes, true. man. All he does is
5: agree with you. That, that is I went true. to Sony Purchase. That's a great, <laughs> no good great no good tool. input.
1: That's true. I never thought of that. He doesn't do a goddamn thing.
5: Yeah, I guess I'm just a slacker. Hey, um, good to hear you back, though, Lily. See you. Thank you. Pepper's oh. great. Wait, would you like to work for less than <laughs> minimum wage? Cause...
1: All right, now you're. this is, I remember this, same way Dave went running out. Oh, he hates it here. He hates it here. Um, oh, I loves it. Here is uh, Carol, you're in Fez. Say,
3: how you doing today, Ronnie? Good. Yeah, on this, I find it laughable that you've got people like... Uh, barely even busting pubes and they're sitting there crying about how bad their life is and they're going through crisis. Hell, you don't know crisis unless you've been in battle at some point. You don't know crisis unless you almost had your house foreclosed on or you find your wife looking at the suspect stuff on the computer. I find it highly hilarious that young people are crying and fussing and moaning how their life is so bad and they don't know how good they have
9: it. Are you directing that towards me? Yeah, yes, you. but I'm not crying about it. I just said that my life is great. I have no job, and I'm actually happy. I don't, I'm not complaining about anything.
3: One fella said you were going through a quarter-life crisis, and he is too.
9: Yeah, so what is, does that make you a bad person because you're going through some sort of crisis in your life? That you're crisis. not sure which direction that oh, you want to go in.
3: Through, remember the nuclear. Remember back in the '80s, that was a crisis. How about
9: the What nuclear- was the '80s? What happened in the
3: '80s? We're in economic recession right now. Mm, I'm nervous. with Russia and all, and and, and nuclear war—that's a crisis.
1: We didn't have a nuclear war with Russia in the '80s. They broke up. We won the Cold War. Remember, we were all happy. The wall yeah, came but not, down, not
3: in, but not in 1980. That was a tricky one. And then how about this?
1: Oh, the Just big nuclear war of
9: 1980. That was important. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but also crisis. You're telling me you have a crisis because you don't know where to shop for your next Abercrombie, uh, Fitch stuff or whatever? That's not a crisis. You know, that's a good point. Carol's right about
2: that.
7: I know a store you could go to, Abercrombie and Fitch. Nice.
3: Yep, that's what I'm talking about. I knew you'd know, Fez. All right, easy. I knew you'd know a sissy
1: clothing store. All right, easy. I understand where you're at. But your point is, these kids, they're whining before they've even gotten into the big stuff.
3: Get there you go, Ron, and that's why you run the show. Crisis is an awful difficult uh, thing for you to use. Yeah. Crisis, you shouldn't just be throwing it around willy-nilly like that, Lily. You're not supposed to just say crisis on everything. I got a crisis I ran out of gas. That's not a crisis. You just ran out of gas.
9: So tell me about your crisis, the questionable things on the Internet that your wife was looking at. Is that your crisis? Uh,
3: that's none your beeswax. Okay. It really right is out. Out. That's right not out. your beeswax. <laughs>
9: um, yeah,
3: well,
1: Try to straighten out your life. Goodbye. Okay. All right. There
3: goes Carol. Man, he, he really dropped, told a bomb. me. Yeah.
1: He dropped a bomb on you. Uh, and Hicks, I hope you woke up to it too. Even though I see you running around doing stuff.
5: I guess I understand now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see, let me tell you in all honesty about Hicks. No one works harder. Yeah. He he is my fucking right arm. But Fez, you're my shriveled left arm. That was somehow caught in a fucking farming thresher <laughs> and got all fucking ripped up. All right, I got a break here. We come back. I'm going to talk to you guys about sleep. Okay. Are you getting enough sleep and the right kind of sleep? Um, we'll be right back in a few moments. After the jump, it's the Ron and Fez show.
6: The Ron and Fez show. The virus on
2: Sirius XM. Respect. Back the cock and tame the cunt.
1: As, uh, as I was talking about how good e is to us, look what he uh, brought in uh, for a sign.
7: This is the new game UFC Undisputed 2010. Brock Lesnar on the cover, but this is signed by the current UFC heavyweight champion, Cain Velasquez. All right, so that's
1: going to be on uh, Search Search. Hurry up and search. Oh, thanks to E-Rock. Nice. You see that? Yeah. People working together, not holding grudges like Mm -hmm.
9: you. (laughs) Didn't you and Iraq date for a while? No. Nor did we hate each other.
1: Then he told me a lie. (laughs) A lot of lies going on around here. How about Roland? No. I assure you nothing happened between Roland and I. Because they both said they tag teamed you one time. Mm. I think it was you. It was you or Fez. I can't remember (laughs) who they got, but they got you. Whoever, whoever they got, they got. All right, here's some of the stuff on sleep. Tell me okay. how you fit in with this. First of all, do you sleep?
9: I do. Are you a good sleeper or I'm, a bad sleeper? I'm a pretty good sleeper. I mean, I'll wake up a little bit, but I get enough sleep, I think.
1: How many hours a night?
9: Probably seven.
1: Seven hours a night. What about you, Fez?
7: Uh, bad sleeper, I probably get about four to five.
1: Four to five. Um, 19 to fifty nine uh, 55 years old, you should get... Eight hours Eight. of sleep a night. So you're off by an hour. And Fez, you get how many? Five hours? Yeah, five at the most. You're also off an hour. Uh, at over 65, you should get six <laughs> hours of sleep a night. I'm
7: in a different category.
9: So older people are supposed to get less sleep.
1: Less sleep. If you um, ever take a look at your grandparents, yeah, they're always up wandering around. And they're like, no matter when you get up, they're sitting there drinking coffee oh my God, in the always. morning.
9: My grandmother lived with us my whole life, so she would wake me up, because she couldn't make phone calls, she couldn't speak English, so yeah. she would have to wake me up, like, Saturday mornings to make all her phone calls to all the relatives at, like, 6 a.m. Oh, God, isn't that a nightmare?
1: Off- I forgot nightmare. that they would do
9: that. Yeah. What are you
1: doing? Mm-hmm. Sleeping. <laughs> I uh, really just got home, so yeah. stop it. A baby needs to sleep 16 hours wow. a night. Uh, 3 to 12 years old, get 10 hours. 13 to 18, get... 10 hours. Yeah, those 14-hour blocks I remember getting, how you would just be like a kid, and mm-hmm. you'd be on like a couple-day run, and then you would just sleep for like 16 hours. Then you wake up, you'd feel so fucking great.
9: What about teenagers? Because they can sleep for like they, 24 hours straight. They get
1: ten, 10 hours is their normal what they need, and that's mm-hmm. why they need those uh, catch-ups. Um, men have dreams... About other men, 70% of the time. But women dream about women and men equally. Now this isn't, of course, sexual. Mm-hmm. But in a man's dream, because I think men's dreams kind of probably are closer to an action movie right. than they are anything else. Mm-hmm. Where I think a woman's dream will be like some kind of a rom-com. Uh, I will tell you this. Only women tell their dreams. And they can't wait to tell you.
9: That's probably true. And most women have those dream books. Only women, I think, buy them. Oh, you know, yeah, where you get up. Yeah. You know, I dreamt about a tooth, and it's like, oh my God, what does this mean? You know,
1: it's always the tooth falling out, by the way. By the
9: way, death. Is I think what it's it means. change.
1: Death and change are the same thing. Okay. In, in most things, but it means you either fear change or there's a change coming on that, you know, you're struggling with.
9: And I've also heard that if there's blood, it's probably bad. But if your tooth falls out and there's no pain or no blood, then it's okay. That's just what I heard. This well, is a mine wacky just tend to crumble. To yeah, you know, like the Jungian thing always goes back
1: to it is whatever you really give it meaning to. So I don't know if you can go to a bulk and say this means that, but you should probably like run it through. Now I'm much better at helping someone else interpret a dream than I am like with my own dreams. Mm-hmm. My own dreams, I get up and I go like this. Oh, that's fucking stupid, and I just forget about it.
9: I never remember any dreams I have, though.
1: Well, that is an interesting thing because this comes up that we will only remember the dreams um, as soon as we wake up. So you will start and forget the dreams almost immediately. Um, But here's another weird one that I like. 12% of people, and this kind of freaks me out, only dream in black and white. Now, here's the weird thing. The number used to be higher before color television. Okay. So we're kind of dreaming more like film mm-hmm. or TV than we are real life, yeah, only because yeah. we've been exposed to that.
9: That's interesting. It's weird. Yeah, because we see the real world in color. That's just, that's very weird. Yeah, you
1: think we've always had, yeah. but somebody who dreams in just black and white, one out of every 10 people. I've never fucking heard of such a thing. This is one that just blows me away. We only dream about faces that we've already seen, whether we actively remember them or not. So when you see a face in a dream, you've seen that face before. Just not in this life. Now, I don't know even if that's true, because I always like... Lily, I had you in my dream, but you didn't look like you. You had kind of a long head right. and a giant nose. But I might just start and call that weird creature Lily for some stupid fucking reason. Oh here comes that little dog, Hicks. I don't know what happens there. Woof. But I will just assign, so funny. I will just assign people I know into things.
9: Like their uh, characteristics or something? I don't know traits? why.
1: I'll just call them that just <laughs> to make some sense out of this fucking bad trip that I'm in.
7: Now, I constantly have strangers in my dreams. You will have strangers, faces. but you've seen those faces before. Yeah.
1: Even if they're not a friend's face. That's the point here. It might have been a face that you saw on the street. You subconsciously put it in, but you will. You've, you're not making up that face in your head. You've seen that face before. I find that fucking bizarre. Um, here's, uh, here's Chris. Chris in New York. You're on manifest. Hey, what's happening, everybody? What do you say?
0: Um, if you don't have dreams or if you claim not to have dreams and you really don't remember them, that's indicative of personality disorder. True.
9: No, uh, it is a dangerous thing
1: a not to have dreams.
9: Well, it is dangerous to not have dreams. I'm sure I'm dreaming. I just don't remember them. Um, I actually read there was a study done. Um, I don't know what university did it, but they sort of tested people's dream sequences and they like hooked them up to all sorts right. of machines. And every time that they would enter their REM sleep, they would wake them up and do it again. Before they would enter REM sleep, they would right. wake them up. And by the end of the week, they had to stop doing it because these people were literally just going insane because you need that yeah, REM you sleep go to sort insane. of recharge yourself. Yeah. Um,
1: well, here's the thing. 50% of your dream is forgotten five minutes when the, in waking up. Within 10%, 90% is gone. Wow, okay. So if you want to remember your dreams, you got to get up and start right, writing them down. But again, how I don't know if it's important. Yeah. If there's shit to be solved out subconsciously, let it be solved out. I've used to try stuff years ago of like you could get these things and listen to them while you were asleep or you know, you will not take drugs. You, I don't know if any of that fucking stuff works. Hypnosis? I, yeah, I don't even know if it's hypnosis, but this is stuff that went on while you slept. Right. Hypnosis uh, did some stuff with that, and there's something to be said for it. All right, here is your sleeping position and what it tells you about yourself. Okay. You've got the fetal position. We all know that, right? Right. you got the soldier, which was kind of sleeping straight on your side. Then you have the yearner, where it's kind of like one leg up, and you're kind of over a little bit. Um, you've got the log where you're straight down, uh, the free fall, you're kind of on your stomach with your hands up in the air, and then the starfish, you've got your arms and legs kind of out. Do you know which way you normally yes. sleep? I yeah. sleep
9: on my back and I usually have one leg. My right leg is usually like bent like this. Sort of like a, making a triangle, and that's how usually how I sleep. With my right leg bent. You're literally making a triangle. Kind of. a yeah, right, like tree say, pose. If I do that. Does yoga like this. Like I'm standing up, but if I were laying down, this is how I would
7: sleep. I end up like in a figure four leg lock. All <laughs> yeah. right, show me yours, Fuzz. I do my where I'm on my back. I'm usually hands across my chest, but I do one the leg left leg down, right foot under my knee, uh, right knee bent. Under yeah. the other leg. So See, you both
1: are on your back, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, when you sleep on your back, you are reserved. Oh. You're a reserved person. And then it looks like you get into a little bit of the yearner, which is perceived as open but truly suspicious. So you guys are uh, reserved and suspicious. I would believe that about both of you. <laughs> It's the weirdest it thing. right. In Fez's personal life, would you say that he's reserved? Yes.
7: Would you say that he's suspicious?
9: Yes. Yeah. Leaning towards paranoid? Mm-hmm. Okay. But I don't,
7: That's where the dreams come in.
9: I guess I am, too. This is kind of weird that Fez and I are in the same situation. You are. Yeah. You are a young
1: Fez, <laughs> a midlife, a quarter-life Fez crisis. <laughs> now, Fez, also according to this, you're going through a post-life crisis, where you've overlived your stay, I don't, and that feels weird to you.
7: I think it would feel weird, but I don't even know if that's possible. <laughs> you've got a post
1: life crisis. Hicks, how do you sleep?
7: I've just passed out uh,
5: fucking on my stomach. I don't <laughs> Cigarette choke. in his hand.
9: Um, I always think sleeping on your stomach looks like it would be really really comfortable but then the neck thing is what bothers me like I wake up with a stiff neck all the time
7: sometimes I will roll over like arm under the pillow Yeah. but I wake up it actually physically hurts and Mm -hmm. it's like I've you know just bent my elbow the wrong way right
1: um well let's see sleeping on the stomach is uh called the free fall and that's fun and fantastic at parties so (laughs) both of you guys are probably sad to know that he's better than you now here's the weird thing about me i think i do every one of these i don't ever lock in a it depends on a couple things who i'm sleeping with b where the weapon is and how quickly i can get to it and then c i just like i will get up and change positions throughout the night yeah. It's a weird thing, but I don't have one that I could even lean into. Um, let's go over here to um, Bill. Bill, you're on Hey,
4: I was wondering, Fezzy, have you gone through any kind of sleep studies?
7: No, I haven't. Uh, you know what? The last time I went to the cardiologist, he was suggesting I go get tested for sleep apnea.
4: I, I deal with a lot of anxiety and a lot of the same nonsense that you go through. And there's no doubt they're getting close to figuring out what the hell it is with me. And every one of my specialists tells me it's sleep. I mean, it's a, it's a magnifier of all of your problems. Um, I, I'm not saying you're still not going to be goofy or, you know, goofy is a $3 bill, but
0: um, you'll be well-rested and feel a hell of a lot better about yourself. You should do that.
1: Um, it's good that this turned into a Fez advice show because I was worried that we haven't given Fez any advice for a while, but you, according to the study, you don't get enough sleep, Fez. And here's the weird thing between not getting enough sleep and starving to death, you would die from being sleep deprived before you would die from starving to death. Takes you two weeks to starve to death, but 10 days without sleep can kill you. Uh, longest sleeping al- animals, koala. Twenty two hours a day.
9: Jesus. So no why wonder I... that exhibit's so boring. It is. It's the so worst. Boring. The you hippo never see must. Them. The never.
1: hippo must be the fucking longest. The hippos at the Philadelphia Zoo. Until I was probably twelve, I thought that a hippo was peanuts floating in green water because they were never out. You never saw those fuckers while they're sleeping underwater. Bullshit.
9: Yeah, but most most animals are nocturnal, you know, especially the ones at the zoo. So anytime you go, half of them are just not out. Well, know?
1: don't they have that one thing where you're acting like you're walking through a dark place so you can see the bats? Yes. Fucking boring sure, your yeah. shit. All right. What percentage of married couples sleep separately? Fez, you first. 18. 18%. You want to go higher or lower on I'm that? I'm
9: going to go higher. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 40.
1: Uh, Hicks, what about you?
9: Like 15, that sounds
5: crazy to go higher.
1: Uh, A po- person, m- Uh, you said how much, was? 18. 18? 25% of what? people sleep I can see that. in separate beds.
9: I know a ton of people who are, have been married, their kids are all grown up now, and now they just have separate bedrooms.
1: They don't sleep together separate anymore. Separate bedrooms, separate baths, separate <laughs> bedrooms, separate baths. We used to do that together. Um... Let's go over here to uh, John. John, you're on Renefez. Hey,
0: Ron. Hey, I um, actually I have a dream I was going to talk to you about yesterday. It, it, for me, it ties up that uh, time travel really wouldn't make a difference. It's been 14 years. My wife uh, passed away having my son, and there's only one distinct dream I have about that, and that is the night that we were driving to a, a small hospital, um, I have the knowledge. I, I've lived the 14 years, so it's not like I time-traveled, but I'm, I'm the same person, but I have all the knowledge that I have. So I take a right instead of a left to go to a different hospital, but she's killed in a car accident. And, and it tells me, it gives me, I don't know if my subconscious, but it tells me it doesn't matter if you could go back in time. It's still meant to be. It's going to happen, And it and it let me kind of resolve things or deal with it.
1: It's interesting cuz I do think that that's like most up to each person to turn that dream into anything they want it to be, you know? Um It's a, it's a strange thing when you have recurring dreams. Did you ever have any like that? No. I went through a thing. I only had this happen in my life both times my chick was pregnant. Both times the baby was tiny, just like this tiniest little thing that I had to cup in my hands mm-hmm. and I could feel bouncing around like a Mexican jumping bean. And I'm sure it had to be the stress of you are now responsible for this, for little this delicate yeah. little yeah. thing that you are too much of an animal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I had no skills. I'm just like, Oh shit. That was and your I would,
9: quarter life crisis.
1: I would get those Well, I was 15. <laughs> so I would get those over and over. Yeah. And that's when I finally said, let's just abort them. I think that's what the dream means. It's a sign. I guess. I think everything is a sign that it should work to, to my advantage. Short-term advantage. Um, let's go over here to uh, Don. Don of Maryland, you're on my fez. Hey,
0: what's going on, buddies? Yeah. Hey, uh, I was wondering if uh, you guys ever heard of a drug called DMT?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very well aware of it.
0: Yeah, I... I, I I just wanted this really, I just started looking into it. It's like this yeah, really don't. trippy drug. Do nature.
1: yourself a favor, dude, don't.
9: Really? Because I heard it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it is, but it's life-changing.
9: But that's and good. It, Isn't life-changing It
1: depends okay. on what part of your life. Or how, to, like, to you, get it at 15, I'm not sure is so fucking I important to me. I
9: agree with
0: that.
1: Um,
9: they
0: have, like, these VNT chambers.
1: Yeah, again, you got to have some fucking philosophy behind you or whatever you need before you get into that stuff. It's not, it's not a fucking play thing.
9: Well, um, how much different is it than, like, regular psychedelics?
1: That's no, it's it. way it's different. It's just way different. I left the planet.
9: Because I think that, like, psychedelics, like LSD, I don't think teenagers should be doing them. I know. I don't think so. Did though. you do it? Uh, I have done it, but what older. What age? I was, I was, like, it was a couple years ago, actually.
1: I was 14 when I did that. That's out. crazy. I, said, I
9: know. Because I did it, and I was, like, 25, and I was, like, this is the most amazing experience of my life. Right. How, did it, how do kids do it and handle yeah. it? Or maybe they don't. Maybe that's why people have bad trips. Maybe they're just not old enough to to handle it. You do. You
1: will have them. But I remember thinking, um, like literally, like I even look back and see my life as before and after. You know what I mean? It was like a little Vietnam for my mind. Just a little Vietnam that took place in my brain.
9: Do you think that if you waited uh, like later in life to experiment with drugs that you would have not had...
1: Addiction issues, or uh, no, 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 no. I th- I do think that you have an addictive personality, or you don't. But I don't think that those kind of that kind of dope has anything to do with it. I wasn't never uh, addicted to acid, right. or even marijuana. I was never a big marijuana fan.
9: Really? Uh, yeah. So,
1: I just right. felt like it was fucking. Not, no offense, your pussy. And you know what I mean. I needed to get places.
9: Right, but it's it's. It's a good, you know, drug to take the edge off, which I don't even like. Calling I was never looking. I, it is.
1: I was looking to put the edge on.
9: Right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, may, marijuana not working for you? It's you know what I mean. I don't even know
1: a lot of real fucking people who like dope who like pot at all. It's very weird. Um, Here is uh, Rich. Rich, you're on Fist.
0: Hey guys, um, I had a terrible snor I still do a terrible snoring problem. My wife tells me to go get a sleep study. Turns out I have sleep apnea. I get the whole apparatus, the CPAP machine, and then I'm in the bedroom, and basically she doesn't like the noise of the machine. So now I'm upstairs on the other end of the house. Uh, even though you know I got the machine to help me sleep better, I'm still kicked out, and we're sleeping apart.
8: I'm among the 25%. Um,
1: so what are you doing? You're just like, this is the way I live now, huh?
8: Kinda, of, sorta.
1: Of. Mm. This sleep apnea thing is big. Half the people I know are like, "Oh, I will sleep with a machine around my nose." Oh. Scary. Um. Here's uh Jose Yorman Fez.
0: Hey, what's up, Ronnie? Hey, what's up,
1: Fez?
0: Hey. Hey, uh, you know what? I what's really weird in my dream, man, is that I know I'm dreaming in my dreams, so it fucks it up for me. Like if I'm dreaming, let's say I won the lotto. I'll, be, I'll say to myself, like, oh, shit, I know I'm just dreaming. But it works on the flip side of that, where if something bad happens, like if my relative dies, I cry in my dream and shit, but I know that once I
4: wake up, they'll be alive.
1: Well, but weird as shit, man. Well, here's the deal. As soon as you know you are dreaming, you're now running the show. That's lucid dreaming. So I, I was into this thing, obviously, when I was a kid with all these psychedelics, but... Um, where as soon as you find that out, you can start flying in your dream. And it's fucking great as shit.
0: I uh, do have a lot of flying dreams, too. Maybe that's some of that
1: shit. When I was a kid, I was reading... I, I guess it was the teachers of Don Juan, the Carlos Cancuneta uh, stuff. But um, he did this thing that if you're in the dream... You start to focus on your hand and when you can pull it together. It means you control the dream. So I used to do that every night, like and inception. Then, yeah, where you were just saying, okay, this yeah. is a dream. Now, as soon as you can look at your own hand and focus, because it'll all be like blurry. As soon as you're in charge, that you just fucking take off and start flying.
4: Yeah. I've so, never tried that. I've never tried like looking at.
0: I mean, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna. I mean, I don't know how you try, but I guess I'll think of that. I'll try to think of that. Cause, yeah, you bring like it up I to I yourself
1: said, before you go to sleep at night. And you're like, I'm going to be dreaming a little bit. And you've been in that place in between asleep and awake. And mm-hmm. all kinds of really fucking creative things can happen there. You know, you're running the fucking show. But what, what you'll do is fall back. Now, it was one of the inventors. It might have been Edison. It could have been Tesla, but I think it was Edison. He used to sit and kind of try to get himself into that state. And would keep these metal balls in his hand. So that when he did fall asleep... He would drop down and it would hit the floor and then he would wake back up and get back into it. Because in that place in between, he could do all kinds of creative stuff. And Tesla would even, in his mind, build an entire machine before he started to draw it out. Wow. It's amazing stuff. It's amazing stuff that if you tap into your subconscious for even a little bit... Um, Let's go over to Greg. Greg in Cincinnati, you're on B, How are you,
0: brother? Good. Hey, uh, I keep having this reoccurring dream, and I've had this for years, where I didn't murder somebody, but a buddy of mine did, and I'm trying to help him, like, hide the evidence, and I'm going, oh, fuck, man, I'm going to get busted. I'm going to get busted. But for whatever reason, I keep doing it, I, and I, I've looked up on uh,
8: websites and everything, it's like, what the fuck does that mean?
1: Uh, I've had that dream a lot, but it was never about busted it. it like I killed somebody, and then I would hear God's voice. I used to get that all the time, and I was like, I can't even fucking run from here. You know, it always weirded me out. Uh, but that was just being raised a good Catholic. Rob, you're on Run Fez. Hey,
0: guys. Um, yeah, Ron, Lily, um, have you ever had like Fez. Um, a dream that would say, hi, you know, picks, so I'll just go through the list. Uh have you ever had a dream, like, when you were a little kid, like, like such a long time ago, that it was so dramatic that you could so vividly, like, bring up the details to this day? To, like, what is it that, like, so, something so dramatic, like it's even real life, that can be burnt into your, like, you know, core, that you can bring up every detail, you know? Now,
1: I think there's some of those that are, like, your first death dreams when you're a little kid and you woke up and you would say, um, but my uh, one of my kids would actually say this. Why didn't you help me when this happened? Aww. And would bring up, and normally it was one of the wrestlers. It was like, you know, one of the wrestlers was chasing him. Why didn't you help me? And I'd say, oh, you stupid fucking asshole, you were dreaming. Aww. Never bothered that when he's <laughs> in here. He's got things set up. Um, Hicks, I thought that you would be more of a dreamer. You're not into it too much?
5: Not really. I mean, I have some, like, nightmares where, like, I'm getting busted and going to prison, and just, and then when I wake up, it's the best feeling in the whole fucking world. Because you just got out, you got away with murder, basically. Exactly, yeah.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've had the death row dream, where I don't even know why I'm on death row. All I know is that they're shutting that cell door. And I'm in there. Are
9: you in the electric chair? How are they...
7: It's, no, I, it's always like the 24 hours or 12 hours before I'm to be executed. Mm. And the weird thing is, it's not even like a cell with bars. It's like one of those solid, sealed rooms. The door is solid, except it has like a little, almost like a mail slot that you can look out of.
1: By a mail slot, do you mean an asshole?
7: No, I mean a slot in the door.
1: Now, I don't have, a, and this is a recurring dream for you?
7: Oh, I have that one a lot.
1: Now this whole thing of you've got a death sentence and you're heading towards death is that unlike the way that you look at life?
7: Um no. No. You
1: don't see your life as this thing racing towards death and you've been condemned to death by life?
7: Oh oh yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm agreeing with you, yeah. Because What was
1: the no then? Was that the agreement?
7: Yeah I I, I took the question the wrong way.
1: How did you take the question?
7: Uh don't you see it um, of isn't this not like it? So I, I answered no. I heard it wrong.
1: All right, so how do you see life?
7: No, I, see, I, I worry about death a lot mm. with the heart condition. Yeah, so I totally and understand it.
1: What would be that cell, that small cell that you stay in all the time?
7: Probably my apartment or even my own mind.
1: Mm. See, it's very weird. If you go over someone's nightmares with them... And just to ask them, they'll be like, "That's no, I already know what that means." Yeah, it's hard to do yourself, mm-hmm. like at first, because you're just looking at, at the literal thing. But almost with anybody's dreams, if you go, "Well, what does that mean to you?" They will tell you immediately. But some sometimes it's like you need from people from the outside. I never know why that is. Um, Andy, Boston, your manifest.
0: What's going on, guys? Yeah, and girls. Uh, hey, Ronnie. Um... <laughs> anybody that looks at me now would never believe this. I'm a dad, I'm a working man, a homeowner. I uh I used to trip frequently on acid at like age twelve and I probably stopped at age fifteen. So my acid years were from twelve to fifteen.
1: Where did you get the acid from?
0: We got it in school.
2: Yeah. I
0: mean as best we could. I mean there was kids uh you know junior high selling it and we were we were picking up for five bucks a tab and uh I mean, shit, I was popping that stuff, like I said, in 7th grade, in 7th, 8th grade, in ninth grade, and then I think I quit sophomore year.
1: What year was that? Do you remember? For me, 7th um, grade,
0: so 12, so that was like uh, nineties, so like 92, 93, right. the 94. The lucky
1: thing is, that wasn't the good, that was like some kind of weaker fucking asset. um well, we had, but yeah. yeah. But, but you at age 12 anyway. Uh, our friend Bobo who uh, used to come on the show every once in a while. He did, as like pre-10 years old. Oh Someone gave it to him on a playground. I don't think he's ever come back. I think he'll end up carrying the ukulele with him the rest of his life. Um, John, you're on Rana John. Hello. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Yeah. How you guys
0: doing? Um, I keep getting this recurring dream that I'm laid up in a hospital, and my friend I work with never sees me. Never visits. Mm. I, I don't know if you guys can relate to that at all. Anyone's had any experience like that, maybe? Dream or real life?
1: Let's see where you're going with this. We're not playing that game. You don't have to visit somebody in the hospital to be friends. You don't? Fez didn't visit me in the hospital. Oh, even though I—I was I didn't visit him. Him. you either. Well, I don't even think you know I was in the hospital, did you? I
9: knew after the fact. So yeah,
1: I, I don't. I I, I, last thing yeah. I want to do is get calls from listeners or flowers <laughs> sent to me. Yeah. I agreed with Fez not coming to visit me in the hospital. Although when he was in, every time he goes in, I come in and I give him Sports Illustrated.
9: Well, maybe you're the type of personality that doesn't need to have you know your friends be there. In the hospital for you I I really don't Some people definitely need to feel Friends and family around them When they're hurting You know. I just like chicks around me I don't
1: like any fucking guys (laughs) Anywhere, anywhere near me It's fucking (laughs) uncomfortable It's like gay Um, Even going to a football game With a guy I'm like, I don't want everybody to think we're gay So if the girls aren't coming I don't want to be here I might worry about the gay thing A little bit too much, Hicks Like yourself He can't keep up today He's so overworked Sorry No, I, I, I worry about you Worrying about you that's what I worry about.
5: No, don't worry. <laughs> Wait, what?
1: Um, here's uh, Billy. Billy, you're my fez.
5: Hey, what's up, Ron?
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: glad to hear Lily's back and Fez and Pepper. I guess. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Edgar Casey, the Sleeping
1: Prophet? Yeah. Uh, fucking the Sleeping Carney would be a better thing to call him. Really? You think so? Yes, I, I, I mean, know. I so all the fucking it. those guys are carneys. And yeah, Yeah. when I was a kid, I read all those things going, wait, he predicted this. But it all turns out just to be bullshit. And there's actually been enough studies on how he did his gimmicks, too. Okay. I don't want to ruin it it for you. I don't like to ruin, you know, if people like to have fun with life like that. But yeah, you're being carnied. If there was anybody that could read the fucking future, they'd be just incredibly rich. Just on football games alone. No, you can't read the future. It hasn't happened yet. We can't even read the past, and it has happened. That's the crazy shit about it. I don't even think that we've ever even got historical uh, proof at all that there is even a Jesus. They still debate that. Although there was an Edgar Cayce, so maybe he should be the person. Um, Maybe we should just get Edgar Cayce
7: things to hang around our necks, which would be nice. Coming up this Saturday on Raw Dog Serious XM Comedy, it is the Unmasked premiere with special guest Marlo Thomas. Mm. That's this Saturday night, 8 p.m., Raw Dog Serious XM Comedy, Unmasked with Marlo Thomas. Uh, Frank, Detroit, you're on run fez.
0: Oh, Ron, I remember. I've been tripping acid for years, man. The best memories were back in Detroit, early 80s, Tigers winning the World Series, people partying like crazy, uh, and, it, you know, you, you had a great quote one time where you said that you laugh so hard you feel like you're going to turn into a laugh.
1: I did one time. I, <laughs> I felt like I was a laugh itself on asset.
0: The uh, Greatest feeling in the world, bro. Hey, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Uh, do you have any, like, did you and Kenneth ever get a chance to trip together or anything like no, that? No,
1: no, no, no. I only met, you know, Sam a couple times and through radio things. And, um, I, you know, at that point in life, nobody was doing acid that was all other drugs uh, acid is 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 always a short period of time like there's only a few people i've ever met who said that they stayed with tripping it just doesn't happen that way mainly because i think that you just f- realize you don't
5: need it anymore i yeah. see guys like on tour or whatever on uh, on a on a festival tour that they're like old dudes and they're still just eating it and selling it and yeah. they're just fucking Allen
1: Ginsberg claimed that he tripped every year on his birthday even as an old man
5: um, I believe Wilkinsburg.
1: Yeah. But it's that's a much rarer thing. I
5: don't think I'm going to trip again. I'm not sure. I mean, I tripped a lot. Yeah. And I don't think... I don't fucking want to go there anymore. Yeah, it's
1: just you. <laughs> set, it gets to a certain point. You're like, yep,
9: that's done. Well, maybe you just shouldn't do it as much. It's like, I think you can just do it like special occasions, like a birthday or something once a year. I think people just you know find acid and they're like this is amazing and you just want to keep doing it and then you sort of burn out on right. it and fry your brain out you know or maybe you don't i don't know well
1: you know it would make sense if you were doing it right would be to almost do it in some kind of like health spa setting where you got yeah. your fucking head together for a couple of days before then if you were do- to do it with some kind of ritual involved um not just like hey we're eating acid we're on our way to spectrum to see floyd no that's fucking crazy yeah um but if you if you sat down and looked at it i mean the first guys that did us that were doing it with shrinks sitting there mm-hmm. imagine how fucking weird that would be um here's dan daniel on a hey
0: yeah uh group uh you know as a skateboarder and we were never scared of nothing or which we thought jumping off cliffs this, now and and we always trying new things and in high school we thought we were doing LSD all the time. We're always getting LSD from people, and, you know. We tripping and stuff, and we thought we were tripping, whatever. And then I went to college in Vermont, and I got the real LSD. And I came back to Rhode Island, and we did it. And uh, it didn't kick in at first, the first hour. And we're all tough guys, used to doing hundreds of hits of acid, but it wasn't. It was nine what we were doing. This, and then we took a second tab. Mm-hmm. That second tab kicked in. And then you understood Grateful Dead cover albums and Paisley Rainbows. You could not shut off the visuals. If you closed your eyes, it got even worse. Yeah. And this trip did not stop for 12 straight hours. And then the residuals ended up being another day. I ended up drinking an entire bottle of 12-year-old scotch just to calm down.
8: And Land then
0: get... what actual <laughs> LSD is. Because most people do strychnine or a blend of strychnine. And LSD. As a, when real, you do the real LSD, you cannot shut it off.
1: Yeah, you're, you're doing, uh, like you said, 12- to 14-hour trips, and I totally agree about whether you shut your eyes. It's all still there. And I, I that's the kind of fucking asset that I get into as a kid. And it's very weird. If you bring up LSD on the radio, people always want to call in, and they have stories about it. But I really... Um, Uh, Yeah, I I just don't fucking recommend it to people, except for like Lily said, if you're doing it in a certain way, yeah. But too many people get too weird on it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, It's fucking Matrix shit. It's fucking Matrix. Um, All right, let's go over here to um, Justin. Justin, you're on with Fez.
4: Uh, What's up, Fez? Uh, Ron, Um, Fez, I was wondering uh, if uh, since the first and second heart attack, if it's affected
0: uh, the dreams you may have had about death since then, if it's made any easier uh, with the dreams or if it's scared you more,
7: no, I think right before the first heart attack, I was getting all these dreams night after night of someone coming up to me and saying, "You're going to die and i even they were even telling me a d- they were even telling me a date, which was uh, late October, and I ended up having the heart attack. Well, Halloween night is when I started feeling the pain. And, um, it, the weird thing was it took me, I think like a month after the heart attack before when I would dream, I had already had the heart attack. Like it took about a month for my dreams to catch up with the fact that I did have a heart attack. Um,
1: 866 six, run 0 fez 866 six, run, 0 fez Here's Joe. Joe, you're on a fez.
0: Hey, hey, Ronnie. Um, basically... I don't really remember dreams, but I have these dreams. I will have sleepwalking where I will literally get my keys, walk out the door, or I'll have conversations with my wife about things that I don't even know, and I'll move furniture and everything.
1: Uh, this comes up about this. Here's some of the stuff that people have done. Oh, boy, that. You're making, you're walking around except for you're still asleep. People have been known to sleep drive, write bad yeah. checks, uh, murder, child molesting, and... And rape. Wow. Now, everyone has had started like woke up while they're having sex, I think. If you've ever been in a relationship where you and a girl, you know, you're staying together, you will wake up and be like, wait, who are you? <laughs> yeah. Who are you? <laughs> oh, <Whoa>, shit. <laughs> Is that confusion for a couple minutes? <laughs> yeah. Who's there? Who's down there? Yeah. For a couple moments, yeah. you're like, oh, me and this Asian girl. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, it's you. It's you. <laughs> but in your dream, you might be with someone else. Um, uh, the last psychiatrist wants to interpret Fez's dream for him. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, last psychiatrist.
0: Hey, Ron, love both of your shows. Thanks. Uh, the standard Freudian explanation of dreams is that there are always wish fulfillment, even though you might not think that they are so. For the example, that one guy called in saying that he made a right and uh, his wife died in a car accident. The interpretation, according to Freud, of that dream would be that no ma- there was nothing that he could have done to prevent his wife's death, so it kind of alleviates guilt. So in Fez's case, he's dreaming about the date of the death being sometime in October. The Freudian interpretation of that would be, again, it's not going to be today. He's going to survive this because his death is planned for some other day in the future. So So, as long as Fez keeps dreaming about death in the future, it isn't now.
1: All right, so the point was, even though that was a near future, you still think he was saying, but it's not today.
0: Yeah, and you consider Fez's personality—he's very much in the moment. So even if death is delayed by a couple of days, that's kind of a big deal for him. So it's just keeping it in the future. That's the uh, the wish fulfillment coming out in the dream. No, and I'm not—I'm not even saying necessarily that Freud is always right in all these things, but that one insight of his is pretty powerful. And if you apply that to your dreams, a, a lot of stuff makes more sense.
1: Now the the thing, Fez—do you think of yourself as in the moment or always thinking at other times?
7: See, I don't consider myself an in the moment person. I'd like to be, but my mind goes crazy into what could go wrong, what's going to go wrong. Yeah, I'm rarely in the moment, or what did go wrong. Let him that,
0: that is the moment. You're always thinking about what could go wrong. You're, you say you're thinking about the future, but what you're really worried about is going wrong right now. That's, that, that's what I mean by in the moment. I don't mean that you're not always worried about the future, but what I mean is your anxieties are always present-based. The past is long history. You don't even think about that anymore. You, that doesn't come up. And it's, the future is just really relative to the presidency. Like, you're nervous now. So if you can delay death by a couple of days, you just bought yourself a couple of days.
2: Very,
1: very interesting. All right. So, Fez, you've, in your own way, you're being positive.
7: Yeah, wanting to live. Hmm. Even with the death row dream of the execution being a few hours away.
0: Hmm. You are, that's the Freudian wish fulfillment. All right. Anyway, love your show, guys. Thanks, See buddy.
1: You. Uh, I like The Last Psychiatrist. He always has some insights for us. Here's Tom in Long Island. You're on my Fez.
8: Yeah, Fez. Um, was the guy who came to you in your dream a bunny named Frank?
7: No, it was seen... not.
8: It wasn't? Uh, have you seen Donnie Darko?
1: Fez is, we're doing a remake called Freddie Fago, and I think it's going to be good for a couple reasons. Number one, gay sex. Seems a very, very, very big. Not only with gays, but also, if you notice this, Lily, girls are starting to get into gay sex, where they go, oh, I love to see two guys together. Um, I'm hearing that from girls all the time. What?
9: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that would so turn me
1: on. I just made it up. (laughs) I just made it up hoping to back you into some strange thing. (laughs) No, girls are never as sick as... I don't know what it is. Guys love to see girls together, but you never hear from uh, girls going like this. Oh, I was watching this movie last night. These two guys were butt-fucking. It's just amazing.
9: Yeah, it's, isn't that interesting? Everywhere. I do, men.
1: You'd rather see three girls?
9: Oh, two or whatever. Wow. Like, <laughs> but
1: did this, so you want to see just a cluster of it. Just a yeah. This is the second time in a row that you've come in to do this show talking about being curious about lesbian sex. First, of course... Um. Was somebody that I think would be perfect for you, baby girl. Mm -hmm. I tried to get the two of you together.
9: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Even letting uh, Dave and Earl make out so we could see it, (laughs) which was shocking, wasn't it? That they did
9: that? It was. I couldn't believe it. I I think I was like, all right, here, I'll make out with baby girl if you guys Uh make out thinking that they would never do it. And they, they were like, all right, we're already there. They yeah they it. were and just they, sure <laughs> just yeah. and i think they had their pants down right. and i think they had their shirts tied up like bikini top did we have that on pal talk or did it, we you know when it was it was the first day in the new old xm studio at 57th street when they i think we did like a, a practice oh, run on a sunday or something yeah, and we all yeah, came yeah. in and did it i forgot so yeah. we only were doing it on pal talk no, I think it was. We were live. We were just kind of working out the kinks live on the air and seeing if, if. So the it was like an afternoon, like a Saturday afternoon Sunday or something. Sunday, it was. Yeah.
1: God, it's so fucking crazy, man. Wasn't that studio gorgeous? I love that studio. And these fuckers over here, these goddamn dream killers, said, "Oh no, we've got to get you out of there." What are you putting up over there? You writing me a note, Fez?
7: Yeah, just writing you a note. Why don't you say it to me? Um, someone's running about ten minutes late. Okay, is that someone, is it?
1: Are you telling me Lily's pregnant? <laughs> um, That's good, good news. <laughs> here's uh, Jason, you're Hey, my
0: says Hey, Ron, got hey, uh, a question for both of you. I can do this sometimes when I'm dreaming. I can actually start to control the dreams and make things go my way. And I hate to say it, it always becomes like a uh, where I'm just taking full advantage of, of women.
1: Stuff he can't do in real life, and then he then he went away. Well, isn't it weird though that he uses the thing of having sex as of taking advantage of the mm-hmm. woman? Did so
9: they're you ever, not willing participants, right?
1: Do you right. ever think to yourself, "This guy's taking advantage of me"? No, I wasn't ready for this at all.
9: I'm usually the one who's always ready. Oh, <laughs> that's
1: just uh, that's bad girl talk. <laughs>
9: no, it's not bad girl talk. It's just you know. Helpful. But
1: I don't want to hear you talk that oh, way, Well, You're such a nice girl. And, some, you know my hope is that someday you and Hicks will get married. <laughs>
5: I'm taken. Sorry. Oh, God. Again with <laughs> wow, that. Wow, okay. He
1: didn't even look <laughs> at me when he said that. How <laughs> quick he is. <laughs> he doesn't even like Just to joke her about being with another woman.
9: It's the same girl that you were dating years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. She was nice. I really like her. Glad you what guys do you are say? it so out. Like. Yeah. So
1: what? <laughs> I really like her, too. <laughs> you know, you're not uh, in your normal mood today. I'm picking really? up on that. Yeah. You're a little antsy, you're a little there's some anger underneath today. What? You're not the pepper hicks we normally know. I'm scrambling going on. today,
5: that's all. I'm just very less scrambling.
1: I thought you'd be settled down with Lily here. I thought you'd be uh, happy about it.
5: No, I am. It's fucking going great. It's just stuff uh, behind the scenes that I'm trying to take care of. It's gotten me a little fucking hairy. <laughs>
2: What's I got you upset? That's
5: coming out on the air.
2: Just what's <laughs> got
5: you upset? There's a lot of scrambling going back here. Steve, one of the interns was like an hour and a half late, and that kind. Which of one? It, Steve Tyson. Steve Tyson. Is that his real name? Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Uh, he's a run. Well, it's his. He's a stand-up, mm. uh, but he's a runaway fuck-up. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just his way of being. He is almost like. I'll fuck up without breaks. But an amazing stand-up comedian.
9: And he's an intern? Yeah. I remember the days when interns were college kids.
1: No.
7: Not anymore. No, not anymore.
1: Most of the guys we get here, it's serious of jail backgrounds. <laughs> uh, a lot of work-release people. It's just a problem. All right, we want a break here? Or you want to keep going?
5: I say we keep going.
1: Because you don't know where it is. You're whispering and Fez is here and he don't know what's going on. All right, Fez, you were gonna do some of your uh talk for us today. I wanna get you into the show today. Uh huh. I'm tired of Lily coming in here, cock blocking you, keeping you in the background. Why did you box him out? Today was Sorry. gonna be Fez's day to, to fly. You've got the floor, Fez. Who do you think's been on the air more today? You or Lily?
7: Um I would say Lily. Uh what about you or this lighter that I have in my hand? <laughs> Probably the lighter. Let's see.
1: That This could be the new thing called lighter side of the news, where a guy is just lighting the news on fire. Hicks, put that down. as something I want to work on. I'll make a note. Yeah, put it up with that cure for lupus that I was fucking coming up with the other day.
5: You mean lupus. rolling really hard?
1: Yeah, rolling with what? Johnson's baby aspirin.
5: I know. Get that blood working.
1: No one ever knows this about the baby aspirin, too, that Johnson came up with. He had a baby, and the baby had a headache, so he just gave it an aspirin. So the baby didn't want it, so he spray-painted it pink. And that's today in history on the Rana Fez show. Cool. I try to teach people history because, like, uh, Lily came in here today. She goes, you know what's great about America is there never was a civil war.
9: What? And I go, Lily, <laughs> yeah.
1: let me talk to you. There was a big problem between the East and the West.
5: Are there no schools in Albania? I was born here.
1: Wait, I just came up with something. The it's East Albania and the West, right. that was a rapper's war that had nothing to do with America. That was East Coast versus West. Who did you want in that?
9: Oh, East Coast all the way. You B-I-G. would Biggie over oh, Tupac? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love Tupac, but, you know, you got to rap for the East Coast.
1: Well, you're in California. That's your whole thing. <laughs> what about you, Hicks? East Coast or West Coast?
9: I oh, don't know.
5: I think I was going to go West Coast because Tupac, those diss tracks he fit on fucking right. Biggie were just so harsh and great. Yeah, they
1: were mean. And they were about his check and fucking <laughs> yeah. Hit him check. up.
5: Yeah. Great song.
1: Uh, I... You know, I grew up in the Butte, Montana rap scene. So we pretty much stayed out of the, uh, you know, the trouble areas. But we would, you know, we'd rap about fucking lumber and catching trout. It didn't really take off. It wasn't that good of a, a scene. Uh, sometimes uh, one of the raps kind of was a local hit where my feet were so cold, I think I'm going to lose my toes. Did you ever hear that, uh, Hicks? It was pretty good.
5: I gave it a listen. All right, good. fucking dope.
1: All right, so that was dope some is, dope shit. Dope is a good thing, right?
5: <laughs> oh, very good. Trust me.
1: Um, here's Tim You're on a fez.
5: Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah. Um, I tend to notice that uh, uh,
0: whenever I eat some spicy food right before I go to sleep, I have the most clear, vivid dreams that I'm able to remember for actually, you know, more than just a couple minutes after I wake up. I'm actually able to remember them for, you know, hey, uh, Tim? of time after that. Yeah.
1: Why don't you bore your wife with this kind of talk? Because it's <laughs> right. really nothing. Two guys should uh, <laughs> talk about But
9: I have heard, actually, people um, who don't eat pork. I was dating this guy who just hasn't eaten pork in, like, ten years. Muslim? No, actually, he wasn't. Uh, I think he was, like, a wannabe Rastafarian. Oh. But he said that he accidentally ate some meatballs that had pork in them and had, like, the wackiest nightmares.
7: Pigs chasing him?
9: Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if food has any sort of link to our dreams. Well, you
1: know, Fez has been taking off alcohol now. His Oh, yeah? His therapist uh told him that he's an alcoholic because he drinks on the weekends now i think you know fez enough that we never think i'm worried about fez's drinking right and let's face it we know quite a few drinkers yeah and most of the people that we know who drink are like this i should keep drinking i should I i gotta stop drinking while they're drinking they'll talk about it but they don't do it but have you ever thought that Fez had a drinking problem?
9: Uh, No, because I don't think Fez kind of is the person that would make excuses for it. Like, I think, you know, Dave used to come in here and make excuses for his drinking. Like, oh, but the Celtics won, so I had to drink and this and that, you know. Oh, I, see. I tend to think that those people tend to have a little bit of problems when they're making excuses for it. But that never struck me as you, Fez. See, so he fe- said to you you were an alcoholic?
7: Well, he, he said that I probably needed to go to a meeting. and from And he asked me to describe my drinking on the weekend to him. And then that's where he got to the meeting part. And then I... You know, I fell into well, it because I, I, I found myself defending myself.
1: Here's the problem: when he said, "Describe your your fucking thing," you just put on the song "Everybody's Working for the Weekend" and started pointing at the fucking and like the guys, like, "All right, you're an alcoholic." It sum's but it up. This uh, I got an email sent about this uh, because I went on on with Fez, and he goes, "Remember, we cannot trust Fez to relay a story." And then I got to thinking about that, and I'm like, "Yeah." There's no way that his therapist told him this. He's just confused about it. A little while ago, Fez comes in. We get we're doing the show. We get to the commercial break. Fez breaks into tears. So I'm like, what's going on? The guy wants to send me away to a fucking mental institution, upstate. So I'm like, Well, what worries you about that? Well, maybe they'll never let me out, blah, blah, blah. Okay, all right. Well let's you know, we got no one can make you go into a mental institution. But he's saying the shrink his, wants to have him put away. So finally, and, and this happened with Fez the day before. Now, of course, he doesn't call me when it happens. He doesn't call me after. He goes to his house. He freaks out. The next day, he's freaked out. So finally, he said, Well, give me the name of this place. I look it up. It's a fucking health spa in upstate New York. There's, you know, yoga there, no. there's hot tubs. There's not even any doctors in I this place. Go there. It was. Well, they wouldn't take you if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was an all male health spa. But this is what happens with Fez. And when he hears this stuff, he comes back. So I don't know if he's been called an alcoholic. Now, the other thing about Fez is he does have the diabetes. Right. He probably shouldn't be drinking or eating pie like or, you know, having gum.
9: Are you checking your numbers?
7: Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. That's yeah, it comes up 69 every time. And then he high fives some fucking fellow with a mustache and short shorts i don't even know why i say this stuff as you know why i say it why because i really that thing that you have about the you know dying it soon Mm -hmm. i worry about that with you i just want to make sure i get enough shots in before you go i mean i don't want to i know i can still heckle at the funeral
7: yeah you'll always have that
1: um one of the things I plan on doing Fez once you wanted to be close casket, right? Right. So I wanted to open up the casket and just open it up and go like this. And then turn around and go, oh Fez. And then get a big laugh. And then uh
7: What what it makes me the saddest is the big laugh it yeah. would indeed get.
1: And then later No what, one
7: would say how inappropriate. No,
1: they wouldn't. Um but actually I, my belief is Fez is gonna outlive us all. I really believe that.
9: I can see that happening.
1: Uh, no, he won't enjoy it. it. He'll complain about it, but he will outlive us all. I don't think so. When do you think he'll die, first?
7: I would say probably... During in the, in the
1: Obama, Obama <laughs> administration?
7: <laughs> no, but probably the next... If the next president is two terms, probably then. Probably in the next 10 to 15 years. So Let's, you're calculating
9: that Obama's going to have another term and then another two-term president? And then in the second term of the next president, is what you're saying?
7: Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll, get, I'll, I'll get the rest of Obama, no matter what he serves, okay. and then one more president. Okay. So you don't know, you're
1: not saying Obama's going to re-win? No. Okay.
7: No, that's why I said 10 or 15.
1: Well, That would be 2 or 8, 2 to 10, if he doesn't make it. Right. If he's out, you're going to die quicker. Uh, and there's no sense to that whatsoever.
7: No, it's just a feeling. Mm.
1: But I mean, even the timeline doesn't make a lot of sense that no one ever picks time as if this guy wins or loses. Oh, this is very nice. Uh, people uh, sent in the pictures of Lily uh, making out. <laughs> uh, this I don't remember so much. Uh, Dave making out with Earl and then also Pitsy.
9: Yeah. I think Earl, I think, pussied out, or they kissed, and it just wasn't really doing it. It wasn't what we were all looking for. Yeah, and then I think we we snuck Pitsy in there to finish the job.
1: Oh, how young you looked, Lily. Yeah. How young you looked. Although your hair was like shit in those days.
9: (laughs) You know. Things get better with age, I guess. Look at Dave. You wore a
7: lot more hats then.
9: Yeah. Dave was so odd then.
1: Yeah, odd look. It's when he had a shaved head. Which I don't even remember why he shaved it. And Pitsy looks exactly the same. <laughs> Pitsy looks like a sixty year old Italian man. Mike. Mike, you're on the run of face show.
0: Hey Ron, have you given any thoughts to what you'll say for Feather's eulogy? And it's gotta be at the hard rock, right?
1: Well, we'll definitely do it at the Hard Rock, but I do promise you this. There will not be a dry eye in the place. And then I will share a story about Fez that's, that I've never told before. And people will be sobbing. And I will be making that story up on the spot. And it's going to be about like what a great guy Fez is, but the reality of the story is hey, Ron did this for him. You know what I mean? Like somehow it's going to make me look better with the chicks. Like, oh, wasn't Fez such a sweet, sensitive side? And then I didn't know Ron did that for him. That makes them so sweet together. And women are just, they're going to be gagging. They're going to be crying so hard. I'm going to fucking rock this funeral. Um, Wow, did your hair look like shit in those days? Who was it
9: then, yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
1: Your hair just looks curly. so much better now.
9: Oh, okay. Well, I'm taking some extra steps to help that, I guess.
1: It's like straw.
9: <laughs> it was just curly.
1: There's a great picture of you. Oh, no, that's Billy Staples.
9: <laughs> <laughs> I can see how you would make the mistake.
7: The hairstyle was about the same yeah. back then.
1: What an odd bunch of people. The Ron and Fez gang. What a strange, odd bunch of people.
9: But those were some fun days. The, the Earl, Dave, Pitsy, Lily dynamics. Because we were always fighting with each other and oh, then ganging I up those on days. Earl. I love those days. It was always
1: fun. We actually, uh, in those days, we dreamed we were going to pull out of it all. We really thought we'd make it. You still, you hear from Earl? I heard from him last night. He was at a concert and texts me. He loves to text me from concerts.
9: <laughs> Yeah, I heard from him a couple days ago.
1: Normally, he just brings up the term black dub to me, no matter what's happening. Black dub. Um, Brian, you're on the Run of Fez show.
4: Last night, I had a dream that Fez Watley killed Paul McCartney.
1: Don't, Paul. Don't try to drag into this. Um, here's uh, Jimmy. You're on the Run of Fez show.
8: Yeah, Ronnie, I get trains um, at night. And the next day, I'll see the stuff from the dream. Like, last night, I had a dream that I was spinning a basketball on my finger. And this morning, when I woke up, I had one of those Good Morning America shows on. And the Harlem Globetrotters were on spinning basketballs on their fingers. Like, I'll see stuff at night, and the next day, it'll come it'll come into tuition.
1: Well, I don't see how you, you saw that happening. That you didn't dream that you were in the Harlem Globetrotters.
8: No, I dreamed about just spinning a basketball on my finger. I mean, it's not exact, but the next day, like, in some weird way, what I dreamt about that night, last, the night before, will, like, kind of incorporate into my day. It's kind of weird.
1: All right. Well, let us know if you ever dreamed about Fez Dime. Thanks. Um, I don't know why people think that their dreams come true. I just don't even get that at all. How could that happen?
9: Because we're told as kids that your dreams can always come true. Oh, I forgot that they <laughs> yeah. said that. Like when they lied yeah. to us about being president. Exactly. I
1: remember um, they actually, when they told me, they said uh, that any of you guys could be president. And I said, really? I said that to my teacher. And she says, no, not you. She said, believe me, the, a black guy will be president before <laughs> you. I said, That's the biggest th- bullshit I ever heard. And she was right. She was 100% right. My dreams didn't come true. My main dream is I wanted Fez to die young, and I missed that by a lot of years.
7: Well, I could die, you know, quarter-life, or, you know, not quarter-life crisis, but maybe three-quarters-life crisis. If you're a tortoise. You really feel like you haven't gotten enough years, Fez? Um, No, because there's still so much that I have not done. Well, who are you blaming that on? Well, I blame it on me, you but can... I'd still like it a few more years to try to get it done. Well, what
1: is it that you want to get done here?
7: Well, I've never had the sex. I've never been in a relationship. That's sex. First
1: of sex. all, I've <laughs> never had the sex. He is stealing Sheepy's gimmick of acting retarded, and then everyone thinking that he's adorable.
9: What's the sex stuff that I've are never had about? the sex? <laughs> Well, that's a big experience that you probably want to have. Yeah.
7: You know. Every 14-year-old girl is looking forward <laughs> to that. That'll probably be the thing that does it to me.
1: That's a great way to go. Well, it'll have to do it to you because you ain't going to do it to it. Oh, those fucking pictures are disturbing. Seeing... And Earl looked lighter in those days. I think he, he darkened as the years went by.
7: Now, during the month of December, it's your chance to win every day on the Ron and Fez show. Well, everybody, uh, people who are listening. I'm listening. With search, search, hurry up and search every day during December. And a huge lineup of prizes all set for that. We've got autographed items from Beach Boy, Brian Wilson, James Cameron, uh, Henry Rollins. We've got a vinyl LP signed by him. We've got stuff signed by Deepak Chopra, Ryan Bingham, a DVD of a live concert from Eddie Izzard, which is fantastic. All this stuff. Yeah, this stuff isn't. No, everything on here is fantastic. And it's all happening in December. We've got CDs signed by Quincy Jones, Natalie Cole. We've got baseball signed by Keith Hernandez. All kinds of sports stuff. Stuff signed by Geraldo, David Cross. It's all going to be happening during December as we play Search, Search, Hurry Up and Search. Uh. By the way,
1: Eddie Brill just wrote to me an hour ago and wants to know when his mask is going to go on.
7: That is going to air, I I believe the date on that is December 4th.
2: Hmm.
7: That's when it'll debut, uh, Saturday night on Raw Dog Series XM.
1: Instead of debut, we should uh, call it debuted. And just try to get it going in that way. Like you did the other day with crevice.
7: Yeah, on the uh, Sarah Palin show, they kept using this really fancy pronunciation, crevasse. Hmm. We could fall into a crevasse.
1: (laughs) they have changed a couple of words during my lifetime. Um, Uranus. Mm -hmm. Used to be Uranus. Now it's Uranus. Uh, And there's been more, right?
7: Yeah, like uh, it's no longer harassment. Harassment.
1: Before that, it was harassment.
7: That's what, yeah. And
1: now it's... Harassment. uh, We're taking the English
7: pronunciations.
1: Maybe we'll start and have a St. Crispin's Day. Maybe we'll go on that. Maybe we'll just start and say blood
7: pudding for no apparent reason. So, uh, yeah, and I didn't know crevasse had ended up on you know on that list. That sounds like you're... It, it sounds too much like Haraf, like you're falling into a wine decanter. Well, that wouldn't be so bad, would it? That would be fine. It's the crevice that you want to watch out for.
9: So this is the Sarah Palin uh, new reality show?
7: Yeah, Sarah Palin's Fez Alaska.
1: Is, Fez is obsessed with... Sarah Palin and all of her children.
9: Did you, speaking of her children, did you guys see the thing I saw on Huffington Post this morning? I think Bristol and her other 16 year old daughter, Willow. Willow. Um, we're fighting with a couple people on Facebook, calling them Fez might be a little offended with some of the words. This and set. F word, fag word. Fag.
1: They called they called somebody a fag,
9: yeah, on um, because they were trashing the uh reality show, and so they were like just feuding, there was like this back and forth going on Bristol and Willow where' like fighting with people and calling them jealous and all this stuff. Facebook so. is the
1: worst thing that's ever it's happened to awful. people, yeah, here's a weird thing, I mean, obviously, I'm not on Facebook. My dad has brought up to me about that he goes on Facebook, oh, no, I'm like, what are you doing, mm. and he's talking to people I used to know or whatever, and I go, pop.
9: You're it's, a million. It's more older people that are just falling into the Facebook than I think a lot of younger people are. But but I thought it was everyone, just about everyone. And yeah. now I saw a thing where, I guess it's
1: an, an article out saying that they are blaming Facebook on the fact that more people are hooking up with their old high school girlfriends and boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that that's like weird or immature. But when you think back to it, that normally is first people's first love. Then you break up for the silliest reason ever. And you do kind of still think of like, hey, not that was kind of great because it was all new and all. So that I think it's easier to fuck up and go back and remake those mistakes than it is to meet some girl at a supermarket.
9: But you think it's going do you think it's going to work like. No, it never your, works. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It never works. Going back to any ex, I think, will ultimately... The, the reasons that you broke up the first time or the second time or the third time will ultimately be the reasons that break break.
1: Well, what up about it. with a high school ex, where you're really just going to break up for the silliest reasons?
9: Yeah, but is it healthy, though? It's like you've lived so much... You know, you, right. you've lived life, and you're just completely different people. I can't imagine dating any of the people that I dated years ago. It's
1: well, just, also, the horrible thing about high school is that you'd all... You were all attached through fucking, you know what I mean? So you were so always incestuous. Yeah. yeah, even though the word isn't incestuous, it is, it feels like it's incestuous. Mm-hmm. So I was always so glad to get out of my hometown when I grew up.
9: Absolutely because I'm
1: like, oh Jesus Christ. That's
9: something that I saw very vivid, like in Rochester, a lot of people just stay in there and you know they they love it there that's their home and they'll stay there and right. then it sort of becomes this weird incestuous thing like oh this is my girlfriend that i dated when i was in 11th grade and now we're friends and now i'm dating her sister and it's like all oh, this weird i can't you have to get out for a little bit At because least get out for a little
1: bit. rochester is one of those towns that's kind of off on its own it's not there's woods surrounding rochester right? Yeah. it's not like it's... 10
9: minutes and then you're in the, like right you're in the country you
1: know so everybody that's there has met each other
9: yeah, I think I've met everybody in Rochester already. It's like, yeah, I've only been there for two years, and I was like, oh, my God, you again? I just met you, now I'm seeing you here. It's like, you just keep seeing the same people. It's never happened to me before.
1: For some Uh The weird thing is, Mooch said that Ireland was like that, that where everyone, he went in Ireland, he was like, oh, I used to date your cousin from my old high school. Like, whoever he ran into, they could put the Kevin Bacon game together yep. on it. Um, Brian. Brian, you're on the Rana Fez show. How are you?
4: Hey, Ronnie. Um, I uh, dated a girl
0: in college for like nine months, and she just wasn't doing it for me. And then we broke up for six months, and she became this totally different person. And um, we've been married 20 years since.
9: You um, know, I think the when I say going back to an ex doesn't really work, I mean when there's been years apart. You know, I don't mean you broke up for a couple weeks, you broke up for a couple months, and you realize you couldn't live without each other. I mean, you've really gone on and had separate lives without each other. That's when I think it's a little bit more difficult to make it work again.
1: Uh, Fez, we've got an update for you about the crevice and crevasse. Uh-huh. A crevice is a narrow opening uh, in a rock or a wall. A crevasse is a crack in an ice sheet or glacier. So they're two different things.
7: Oh, I had no idea. Um, they, my, the Mike, things they were showing look like crevices. Mike,
1: you're on the Run of Fez show.
3: Hey, that's that was me who called about the crevice and crevasse. Just want to let Fez in. Well, by. I'm
1: getting a lot of people writing in about it as well. Great. So now you know, Fez. 866 uh, Run Zero Fez. 866 Run Zero Fez. It is the Run of Fez show. Lily is uh, sitting in with us today. And as always, it gets back to Rochester. And dating too many people that are attached.
9: Um, you can't help it. I don't know.
1: By the way, what is this that you're wearing? Is that fake fur is that real? Is it rabbit?
9: You know, I don't really know. It's my sister's. I pulled it out of her closet today. I, I think it's it, rabbit. It might be. But I won't, we can say it's faux because I'm kind of against killing animals.
1: Why are you clothing? against killing animals? <laughs> you, you, you just love steaks.
9: Yeah, but I think for clothing is a little bit different. Why? It seems a little bit more vain. You have leather you belts. Um, not really. Actually, no, I do have one.
1: Yeah.
9: Mm. Mm. I know.
1: And those headphones that you're wearing are made out of meat.
9: <laughs> those
1: are two pork chops on either side. <laughs> Fezzi, what else you got for us, big girl?
7: Well, the... Um, Eva Longoria has broken up with... Uh, well, she's separating and divorcing her husband, Tony the po- Parker. The baseball
9: player?
1: Uh, yeah, we were talking... No, this is the... Uh, I don't know. We were talking about that earlier today. And uh, Tony Parker is... I guess with Rick Barry's son's uh, wife.
9: I heard that. Was it? I think I read on Twitter. And now I don't know how much this is true, but that he was using the practice facility or the, uh, the, the, the workout room to bang this woman in it. That's, oh, and they were caught or something like that.
1: Jesus Christ. So they were. He was supposed to be getting a rub down. He was fucking rubbing one out there.
9: Yeah, apparently.
7: Well, uh, Eva Longoria wants to get paid. She's in her divorce agreement. She wants Tony Parker paying her instead of just, hey, we make our own money. I'm a TV star. You're a star athlete.
9: Right. So she, he makes more money?
7: Yeah, I guess with endorsements he does. <coughs> I had no idea that. You're, I would have thought she made the more.
9: I would think so, too. But there needs to be some sort of law put into place when people make over X amount of dollars that neither one of them needs to pay each other alimony. It just Because it just seems so silly. Like, both of them are millionaires. Why? Why are anybody but paying anybody? But that's
1: like saying to anyone: once you're a millionaire, you should stop worrying about it. I've never saw a rich person ever stop being concerned with money or say, "Oh, at the end of it." It's almost like saying: once you make, let's say, fifty million, stop working, let other people get their money. Yeah, why not? Because um, that's not the only reason to work and do things.
9: Yeah, but so you you think that. Tony Parker should be paying her alimony.: I, mean, I have no idea rich, what their you know, I don't like, I
1: had no idea what their deal was, yeah, but that's like saying in any partnership, all right, let's suppose you and I opened up a shoe factory together, we made all this money, then we broke up, and them going, "Well, Ron did most of the work or whatever, and she's rich anyway, so she doesn't get in. We'd end up in a goddamn court battle for fucking 40 years over money.
9: but did they have a prenup? Well,
1: they don't, you know, depending on all that, it it really comes into everyone everyone tries to figure out what the situation was. But it's really just a business situation. I don't see it any different than if they had a T-shirt company together. When you let somebody in on your marriage and you say we're
9: married, it seems to me that you're partners. Yeah. So unromantic when you put it. Put in that way, you know. Well, uh, is this unromantic? You don't get any of the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has her own and he has his own. I think, you know, they'll be fine.
1: Yeah, that's the fucking truth. They will both be fine. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. And apparently he's very happy banging this other girl in the locker room.
7: So, and I don't think they had a prenup. Because it sounded like something she was just asking for.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, you're on the Run and face show. Hey, guys. Uh What's happening?
7: Hey. Yeah,
3: well, I just wanted to disagree with her. I think that she's wrong about, uh in my opinion, that she's wrong about people breaking up over long periods of time and then get back together. I think it's the opposite. I think that if you're broken up for just a couple of weeks, your problems probably haven't been resolved, and you're going to probably have the same problem. If it's over a long period of time, you've had time to grow and go through different experiences, and you're different people. So I think the chances are... Getting back together and staying together are, are, are better. Yeah, but anyway, the fact that you're
9: different people might mean that you're not going to connect the same way that you did once before. Maybe the people who you are now are not compatible at all. And that's cool. usually what happens.
1: Well, here's what usually what happens. People do whatever is the easiest thing. And whoever they can hook up with, they right. will. Uh, now, you're familiar with the film American Beauty. You said it was one of your favorite films of yep. all time. Great film. The American Pie series. And Mina Saveri, everybody loved her in it. She's got a brand new film uh, coming out December 10th, uh, Hemingway's Garden of Eden. And uh, she's going to stop by and talk to us a little bit. It's Mina? Mina. Mina Saveri. It's wonderful to see that the hair grew back because you had it cut so short for this film.
10: Thank you. It's supplemented.
1: <laughs> really? Thank you. You got a little extra help?
10: Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, This film was interesting. First of all, I, I read so much Hemingway when I was younger, oh, wow. but this is one that came out after I think he, he died, right? This is yeah. one that they brought out later? Yes. And the character that you played, I think, was unlike any woman that he'd ever wrote about. So I was really shocked to... To see it.
10: Yeah, the story is very different from Mm -hmm. a lot of Hemingway's works. And a lot of people don't know about it. Um, It was published posthumously. Uh, Hemingway struggled for about 10 years to write the story. And um, when it was published, uh, after he passed away, his wife, Mary, at the time, took two shopping bags full of loose-leaf pages to the publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, So, number one, you don't even really know if he wanted this story to be told or um or if it would have been told in this form because when it was given to the publisher the second half wasn't even completed
1: so your character uh and the the time that it takes place is like the early 1920s i guess
10: yeah mid yeah or
1: mid-20s so it's in the 20s there and yet there's so much of that character that reminds me closer of today you know what i mean like the, the 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 things that they go through there uh The strength of that woman, whether it was for good or not for good, but it reminds me way more modern than I think of those times.
10: Yeah, I mean, I think this was, I mean, especially at that time, this was like an awakening for women. Mm -hmm. I mean, for Catherine, I mean she was someone who was very well off, mm-hmm. you know, she'd come from America. And I think back then, you know, why not just, you know, be Bohemian and kind of vacation in Paris, you know, right. and, and she did that independently by herself. And I mean, that was already a bit taboo back then. And, and um, then for her to uh kind of do the things that she did, I mean, I think it really comes from this inner sense, this inner struggle of um wanting to be her own person. And, um, and, you know, she she pushed the envelope. I mean, she sure. challenged everything. And, I mean, to, to cut your hair even to a bob was very risque. I mean, in the book, it's written where she, uh, you know, goes and buys these uh, fishermen's shirts and, mm-hmm. you know, wears shorts. I mean, you just you didn't even wear pants. Yeah. I mean, that was a very, very risque thing to do.
1: Well, so much, too, is about your character's sexual identity. And she plays with sexual identity. uh and in a weird way, it reminded me of Bowie, like in the early seventies <laughs> when he would flip back and forth with stuff. You know, with Bowie. oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, there She's was Bowie a fans. there was a a period in the early seventies to like mid seventies where I saw him playing these games with like sexual meanings yeah, and, judge me. yeah. and yeah. yeah, and but you don't normally see the woman uh, mm-hmm. running in that direction. It was a very interesting piece, yeah. and then kind of forcing that. On the people around her. Mm -hmm.
10: Um, Yeah, and I think what's so interesting is, you know, some people have perceived um, Jack Houston's character, David, who plays my husband, as a bit weak in a sense. And I don't see it that way. I see it as someone who just has complete admiration and unconditional love for this woman. You know, he allows her to explore herself and it just doesn't work out. In the end, you know, he's always trying to save her. But I think it's with Catherine, it's almost like this thunderstorm within her that she just can't suppress anymore. And, and and it just starts to come out and she ultimately unravels. Well,
1: from this point of view, by the way, Jack Houston was, I thought, great casting because he looks like a throwback to that time. Yeah. You know, it's like the perfect time for that, because men kind of don't look like men from the 1920s and 30s anymore i mean we don't have people that kind of look like hemingway and like it's the way that he was writing and all is the way that hemingway would write standing mm-hmm. up and um i was really uh, I, I thought all those little details were great but the fact that a big strong guy like that can get pushed around by a much smaller female is not unlike life i mean when you get into these situations where you're with a partner who says i want to explore things it's almost wrong not to go in that direction with them you know i mean i felt like his character had to play this thing out
10: yeah i mean i think it was it was you know moment by moment you know Mm -hmm. i don't think he really knew how bad it was gonna get right really you know and she does a lot of things i mean you know in the story right off the bat she asks him uh you know would you love me the way you know you say that you love me the way that i am and i have this surprise for you and you know, I don't I don't know how seriously he takes it, you mm-hmm. know, and then when she she keeps kind of disappearing and going into town and then she comes back, you know, with this new thing. And I think at first he's thinking, OK, you know, um, uh, she cuts her hair off and he and, and so he plays that first game with her. And I, I don't think he thinks it's going to be really the end of their relationship. And what's so beautiful is in the in the book and the, at the end of the first chapter, there's this moment where he's holding her after they've played that first kind of role reversal the sexual game and Mm -hmm. and she asks him you know do you think i'm bad or do you think i'm wicked in a way and and he has this moment internally where he's holding her and he just says to himself goodbye and good luck and goodbye my sweet Catherine, and Mm -hmm. um But, you know, when she disappears this one time and then she brings the the girl back, I mean, I think that, you know, he doesn't know where any of this is.
1: No, he doesn't know know where it's going. But isn't it weird, like you said, like that was like this coming of age thing for women. But then it it kind of went back down throughout the 30s and 40s and 50s and came back open again in the 60s. I do kind of see that 1920s as so different of uh, like what women were like over the next 30 or 40 years.
10: Yeah, I think a bit, yeah, like yeah. the 50s, definitely.
1: Like it all went back down again until the 1960s.
10: I mean, in a sense, yeah, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, there were a lot of things that came about. I mean, women were able to vote, I mean, just, mm-hmm. um, you know, even hearing about, uh, you know, the first designer in Paris creating a pair of pants and things literally being thrown at her on the sidewalk. Right. I mean, it just was completely against the grain so
1: your your main interest was in that character the, oh yeah the, as soon sure. as you read the script you thought this character is for me yeah. what what is it that you wanted to explore in that what was it that oh wow. that really pulled you in
10: um i mean i'm sure a lot of it was like i was drawn subconsciously to it i mean i mm-hmm. I, I feel like characters really um come to people to come to actors and i feel like um you know it was very it was a bit reflective of of my own life you know Mm -hmm. a lot of things that i was going through and emotionally and spiritually and um i i always respond to characters that challenge me to a great deal and that i feel like i can grow and and you know grow with and learn from and um this this playing this character completely changed my life i mean i feel like Aside from American Beauty, which, you know, that was, you know, almost 10 years earlier where I was so new to the business and Mm -hmm. so new to my occupation that, you know, I wasn't able to grasp it the way that I did with this film that, you know, Garden of Eden was the most challenging thing I've ever worked on. In my career, and and um, we had the most amazing director, John Irvin, who we called Papa on set right. because you know he he just embodied Hemingway. I mean, he even dressed like him on set and you know, and lived
1: in that whole Paris Review world. I mean, he grew up through all that. Which, Our writer did, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah
10: James Scotlandville. He 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 uh, worked with the Paris Review, but um John was so well versed in Hemingway. I mean, he he. He just created an amazing atmosphere on set and and we just really bonded and he supported me completely and I was able to work with him and discover Catherine. But you know, it it was it was a, a a bit moment by moment, you know, not even knowing what was really going to come out of me. You know, I didn't I didn't want to overwhelm myself too much, but I worked really hard to make sure that the language was really specific to her from mm-hmm. from the book because it's just really important to me. I didn't I didn't want it to come across as the language is too contemporary because I feel like every single word in the book is so specifically chosen. I mean, it's right. so poetic. It's so beautiful. And, you know, I, I feel like Catherine really, she knows what she's saying. You know, she's choosing what she's saying and, and you know, the the best way that she can kind of manipulate the situation and the conversation. You,
1: so. Yeah, even the tonality of the voice that you were using yeah. is, was different than your normal speaking voice. Um, which was, I thought, now, did you always go look at your career, like through those artistic things or when you came into it was it just about being part of show business, uh, the early roles that that you chose, did you feel the same way that they were supposed to come to you?
10: Um, no, I mean, I started, I started modeling when I was 12 and then I fell into the business really when I was 14 and, um, I mean, I was so green. I mm-hmm. had no idea what I was doing. I mean, people would ask me, uh, I worked on American Pie and American Beauty back to back, and then they came out back to back. And right. people would ask me about American Beauty, you know, oh, did you read the script? And did you know that it was going to be so successful or win these awards or whatever? And I, I never grew up um, necessarily watching the Oscars. I, I um, had wanted to be like five other, follow five other occupations before even falling into acting and and uh, I honestly thought that every movie made $100 million when these movies come out. <laughs> this it is was, it. it. This is the way it's going to go. People would be congratulating <laughs> me and I'd be thinking, okay, thanks. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, isn't this just normal, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I I honestly was on the set of American Beauty... Just happy to have a job and be working with the people that we were working with. I mean everybody was so much, so cool and so fun you know and and then it was really after that, and experiencing that success right away that you know i had to I had to grow up very fast I had to learn about the business very quickly and and once I did, there were a lot of things about the business per se that really turned me off you sure. know and and I realized that it was. You know, the thing, the choices that I made were based on my, my passion for the art and the creative aspect of it, you know? And there was a point in my career where I really pursued that, you know, because everybody's going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's going to want to put you in a box. Everybody's going to say, you got to do this. And everybody thinks that, you know, it's all alchemy, right? Like, yeah. what, you know, you got to be on this project because then you're going to get to this point. And I don't, I don't like living my life like that. So I really, I followed characters and and projects that spoke to me that i felt like i could really learn from and that challenged me and it led me into every direction possible but i felt like a lot of that was you know representative of who I am and, and, and that person I'm still trying to find. I mean, I'm almost 32, but I still haven't learned about it.
1: I think what's so interesting is it's almost the exact thing that happens with most people that they'll come into the business, you know, studying, Oh, I want to be an artist. And then as time goes on, Hey, I have to do this Mm -hmm. for money, but you seem to be almost going in the opposite direction where you are, you're almost being more optimistic about artistic choices now than if you came into it naive feeling that way,
10: yeah, I mean, I feel like i you know I do the best that I can, you mm-hmm. know it's just what's most important to me if I were given the choice to decide is I have to follow yeah. you know my my um uh you know intuition and you know what inspires me, my passion, you know more than just making a business decision because you know that's not gonna I believe you know for me it's not gonna make me um give a good performance or, you know, why would I want to be on a set or be part of something that I'm not 100% feeling because, you know, what I do is so personal. I mean, I put my heart and soul into what I do, you know, and that's why, especially with this film for it to come out now, we shot this at least three years, three or six years ago and it, and it premiered in Rome and, you know, you, you, you kind of think like, oh yeah, people are going to see this, um, but, you know, for Roadside Attractions to pick this this project up and for it to come out now, I mean, that's the best thing that could have ever happened to well, it.
1: Well, they're doing really cool work, too, the stuff that Roadside Attractions yeah. is always the really cool stuff to to look at. And uh, the, the other part of it is a beautiful film, too. It's just a gorgeous film to look at. And it's an adult film. It's a film for adults. I mean, you're playing an adult role even though you could still get away with playing the college girl yeah. if you wanted to you <laughs> right. still, while you're sitting here i'm serious you're you have such a youthful look but in this film you're playing an adult woman and a very complex woman i think that's thank i think you. it's interesting choices to make
10: thank you and i think you know i think part of that is also like why i identified with Catherine. you know there's this there's this um you know sense of who you know how people perceive her you know how she looks on the outside and the expectations put on that how she's supposed to be and you know that's something that i've really struggled with my whole life you know people seeing me as a certain way and you know wanting to categorize me as that and there's just so many things inside of me that you know i struggle with and that Mm. i you know want to express
1: that's a really interesting point i didn't think about that because with Catherine, you When he sees her, he immediately decides this is the type of woman that she is. And for whatever reason, she's attracted to him. And we do do that with each other. That's Mm -hmm. normally why I think it, it makes life so difficult in relationships. And we feel betrayed, you know. But we never let that person be the person that they really are up front.
10: Yeah, because you get to this point in your relationship where you start to trust one another. Mm-hmm. You know, and then people start to get comfortable <laughs> and then they start to test the wires. Right? right.
1: But in those days, you had to be married first before you went along that way. At least now you can hold back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting film and I'm. it's really, really interesting to, you, to meet you, thank too. Thank you so much. Because, um, like you said, your your career just exploded 10 years ago. And you could have gone in any direction, and to see you following it this way, I think, is a really interesting trip to see somebody make.
2: Thanks.
1: Uh, The film, it will be released in New York and Los Angeles, December tenth. It's Hemingway's Garden of Eden, and like I say, this is a different kind of Hemingway than most people are used to reading or seeing. Um, You see the big macho male character on the ropes a few times in this one. Thank you so much. Nice to see you.
2: Thank you. Ron and Fez. The Virus, on Sirius XM. When I woke up this morning, I felt
5: like shit. I was so fucking hungover. My arm was numb as I slept on a long day. I was barely breathing. Then I remember, holy fuck, my whole family's in jail. I gotta go get them out. I
6: fly If you catch me at the
1: On man, I'm really getting bored of our rejoiners. I thought um, the kid was gonna work on some.
5: He's built a few. I put him in the rotation.
1: I never hear him. I just hear the same once. Um, he yeah, had a little crush on that girl, huh?
9: She's gorgeous in real yeah. life, Mina.
1: Yeah, she's even prettier in real life. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. What's her name again? Mina? Mina. Mina. Mina Savari. What a nice name. Yeah, gorgeous. And she thought I was joking when I said she could still play college. She's 32 years
9: old. She was amazing. When she said, I'll be 32 years old, I couldn't believe it. I thought she was a little bit younger than me, to be honest. Um, Wow, I thought she was a lot. Now, this
1: is, remember when American Beauty came out, and she seemed like a little girl, but I guess she was in her 20s then. Here's a picture of her. here. Come over and take a look at that. And just look at the boyishness of
9: her face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god where was that found
1: uh, a listener What's just a- sent us in this was you in school your school picture I guess I don't even know what year that was
9: um, it's maybe a freshman in high school went to
1: WMC with you years
9: ago Westmore Central High rep yeah, yeah.
1: and uh,
9: I wonder who it was
1: here's another picture of you you really look like a fucking immigrant here is that me yeah
9: where I don't even have a yearbook you look like an immigrant washwoman. Oh, God, it's awful. Let me see. Did you have nose work done? No, I never had any work good done. Look, your nose is a lot thicker there. There or now? No, now it's thinner.
1: okay. That's good. There, you look like uh, Tex Cobb's nose. You know,
9: I always used to complain to my parents because there's no pictures of me when I was a kid. There's none of me. And now I think I understand why.
1: You were probably a frightening person. Yeah. Although this is cute. Although you were very
9: boyish. It's awful i can't believe somebody found those That's so embarrassing. i guess he went
1: to school with you his name is jim mm-hmm. jim here's the last name i don't want to put it on the air he said he did not know that it was you on the show until after you left the show
9: i remember very few people from high school
1: you remember this guy <laughs> he said some of the things he used to do to you
9: <laughs> i left high school a virgin i doubt any of those are true well he said it was
1: men that was ass play oh okay so that should yeah. be fine. Uh, so you really like that Mina?
9: Yeah, she's great. My. She seems like a really cool chick. I think Pepper and I were just talking about that. Like, she seems like a cool why, chick. Why is
1: Pepper like... talking to you? He's ignored me the entire day. And he's no, don't say that. No.
9: Come on. And anytime
1: I do try to talk to you, you're gruff. Gruff? Yeah.
5: No, come on. I'm
1: sweet as can be. I need you on a day when Fez is out.
7: I'm right here, Ronnie B. Uh,
1: Fez, there I'm you here. are. When would you get here?
7: Uh, beginning of the show.
1: Today was gonna to be your day. Remember when we talked about that? Mm hmm. You wrote your thing last night. Stopped to do and all that and just blew it off. Uh waiting on another guest stopping by. Is she in the building? Yes, she is. All right, it's gonna be strong female day is mm-hmm. what we're doing. Annie Lennox is stopping by. Nice. Now we had her ex bandmate and ex husband Dave Stewart on the show uh some time back. But we didn't have him sign anything as before we started doing search search?
5: Yes, yeah, it was before that, yeah.
1: Those are our retard days. The Lily and Dave days. The Pitsies here days.
5: Down syndrome days.
1: I didn't even know we were calling it that. That's <laughs> <nicer>. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so much nicer than retarded.
9: It explains but, a lot, though.
1: So uh, she's going to come in, and I'm going to try to sing that little bird song with her that I love. Maybe you could sing with her. Maybe we'll just have uh, a sing-off, you, her, and then Mina Savari comes in and I just drop rose petals on her.
9: Sounds nice. Although I can't sing for shit, so let's see you just sing a little mm, bit. Nah, I don't sing think along. Sing so. along with the song. Sing along with <laughs> I the tune. I'm like
1: toned off. Uh, by the way, uh, Annie Lennox has got a Christmas album out. Nice. I'd love to see you put out a Muslim album. What do you call what? What kind of stuff do your parents and you celebrate?
9: Uh, we don't actually celebrate uh, any sort of Christmas. We did like New Year's. We would say, like, Happy New Year. Let's get, maybe we'll buy you like a New Year's gift. But so, Christmas, never Christmas Day, you didn't
1: have anything because you were a Muslim girl. Yeah. Now, you said your family does get together and they celebrate nine eleven every year. Why did they do that? When did that, you said for the last 10 years, that's been a big holiday for you?
9: Well, we, you know, mourn on that day. Oh, you do? More mourning, yeah, than anything. Okay.
1: I'm surprised. We lost people gifts.
9: too.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about uh, Diwali or something like that? What's that? I don't know. I thought Diwali? Diwali? Don't you have some kind of winter thing that goes down?
9: I have no idea. I don't Among know what them, happens Christmas yeah. holiday? I mean, yeah. there's Ramadan in the fall but um it's how
5: they call eid that just passed that all the muslims in my neighborhood were freaking out of it two days ago just going what's it nuts. called eid i think it's like eid it's called hmm. i have no clue what it's about but they were out in force chanting going nuts
1: well why do you act like theirs is nuts and new year's eve makes perfect sense when you know we're going crazy at midnight
5: well i think they're doing it sober which is just odd to me
9: well they can't drink it's against I their know, religion. That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Well, how do they get fucked up? Just opium,
9: uh, or hash? Love hash. Middle Easterns, you know, they love their hash. You love hash? I like hash. Yeah,
1: I think it's amazing.
9: Yeah, I smoked some really good hash when I was out in California.
1: With who? It's
9: just some friends. You
1: on the beach, boys? Yeah, you know. What guys. are you doing with California friends? What part of California were
9: you? In? Uh, Northern California. Um, Humboldt County. <laughs> there, we, there was maybe some time out <laughs> there. I don't. Were you running Eureka? <laughs> eureka freaka there's a lot of weirdos in eureka there is
1: yeah all right uh annie lennox is here so i'm gonna ask you to shut up for five seconds (laughs) uh she's got a brand new christmas album out called christmas uh cornucopia christmas cornucopia let's bring her in annie lennox Mother Christmas. Mother Christmas is now here with her brand new album. How are you, Annie Lennox?
11: I just realized this morning that that might have to be my title for the rest of my life. Yes.
1: <laughs> you are now going to be... Um, Well, what was, like, like a a winter goddess? I don't know what the name would be there, but you can come along and sing our winter. Gosh, really? Well, the the great thing about this is these songs are so much more traditional Mm -hmm. than the American Christmas carols, which tend to be about presents and Rudolph and Santa Claus and stuff. You went very traditional.
11: Well, I kind of sourced the songs that I sang when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's really been a journey for me because... These songs, I was singing these songs almost 50 years ago. It seems incredible to me. So they're very, very much part of my, my backbone, my, my whole sort of
2: mm-hmm.
11: consciousness. And to come back to them as an adult so many years later and bring them back in a way that is my own interpretation, um, with my, my twists on it has just been such a lovely journey for me. I just, I wanted to do it for years and i also wanted to work with the african children's choir so i've got the two things they they're not on angels from yeah. of glory but they are on about six of the tracks on the album
1: yeah that was an interesting thing for you to do and i know that africa is something you've been involved in for many years has it uh, when's the first time you went to
11: africa well um, i well the first time i went to africa is many many years ago in, back in the 70s but uh-huh. the time ty- the time ty- the really significant trip Mm-hmm. that I made was to Cape Town in South Africa in 2003. Mm-hmm. And that was to be part of the the launch concert for Nelson Mandela's HIV AIDS Foundation 4664. And that was the beginning of a whole uh, wake-up call to me to get on board with um, HIV as it uh, passes on to women and children. Yeah. So it um, was a huge turning point in my life.
1: And at that point, just being open to that again like you were saying with these christmas songs uh now there will be you know a part of you will be stuck with with you know you've got to live up to that every year this time of year but once you get introduced to something it's almost like you you can't then push it away uh like so in 2003 uh, whether you were expecting it or not, a life-changing right.
11: moment takes Yes, place. definitely, definitely. I got to step out of, of a certain kind of bubble, which is mm-hmm. a Western bubble, or my own bubble, or all our bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I went into a place where even you know, South Africa is a wealthy country for many, many people live in excessive wealth. But the majority of people are living in excessive poverty.
10: Right. So you
11: have the two extremes and a massive gap in between. And there you have, ironically, you know, the um, post-apartheid nation, yeah. Inheriting um, a virus that is just wiping people out, approximately a thousand people a day are dying from AIDS-related causes to this day, and the government now are to the you know to the credit they ha- they have got a national strategic plan as they call it to try to double access to treatment and to try to reduce um, the the spread of the virus by half, but it's very very challenging process for them. When you, what
1: made you then decide to use this children's choir with these songs? I mean, here you are from yes. one part of
11: the world; here yes. they are from the other. Uh, what made yeah. you think this is going to work? Yeah. Um, well, when I first met them, it was in 2004, and I was taking part in another 46664 concert, and they were part of the um, they were part of the backstage crew, and I saw them there. And I fell in love with them mm-hmm. and I just, I knew like one day I'm going to work with these kids, I love them and I want to use their voices and then I thought, well, one day I want to make a Christmas album with the, with the songs, not, not a Christmas album, I shouldn't say that, it's not really that, it was I want to record traditional Christmas carols, that really really, that, that was my main modus operandi. And then I thought, wow, if I'm going to use children's voices, I will put those voices on above anybody else. Because of what they represent, I mean they are in their own way, they are, are ambassadors of their country, many of the children are from Uganda, and many of them are from South Africa and across parts of different parts of Africa and They are children that have been given an ac- access to a transformative plan, if you like, through music, through being part of the African children's Choir. they have an uh, opportunity to have education to have you know, good nutrition, to be dressed well, to be in positive, encouraging circumstances. And these are kids that are coming from villages and remote places or from townships who have no access to, very little access to, well, little access out of the trap of poverty. And so you see those kids and as they're growing up, they become young adults with a light in their eye, with a focus and with an intention, and they're resourceful. And many of them who've been through the process come back to mentor young children again as choir masters, you know. And it's it's just something that I found hugely inspirational. And sometimes, you know, you hear about stories from developing countries and they're terribly depressing. But So I think when you identify a problem and you find projects that are actually uh, coming with positive responses, I I think it's important to highlight them. And it it is also the strangest thing too now to see how... All these different things
1: that happen in the world. I don't know whether it's because the world seems smaller, but one problem leads to the next and one solution leads to the next. And it's just so interesting that you think that maybe getting to some of these young kids at an early age, solutions are coming up in the future, sometimes 10, 15, 20 years from now that Mm. no one thought Mm. about. Oh,
11: yes, absolutely. Uh,
1: As well as keeping... Mm. um, Western armies from going down there 10 or 20 years from now and settling problems, Mm. you know, money invested could be money saved, even if it's just like on a
11: financial level. Absolutely. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, I've given this a lot of consideration and I think the world is a a crazy place. We're so resourceful. We Mm -hmm. have so many resources, but they're not spread in a fair kind of way. In the Western world, you have access to complete modernity, all of the consumerist items that are out there, if one can afford it. I'm not assuming that everybody can, yeah. but they're there. And, you know, we we do have clean running water coming out of our taps, for example. We do have access to education, whether it be perfect or not, it doesn't matter. We have access to it, you know. And so many think access to healthcare, well, they, that's a very important question here in the United States. Um, when you go to some countries... Children are, you know, especially it's really women and, and the female child that I'm very much interested in because that's my gender and I have daughters myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really strongly relate to. I think, you know, we talk about feminism and we some, sometimes kind of almost like recoil away from the word. And yet I think that female empowerment is so, so necessary in developing countries where women do not have hu- uh, human rights. They do not have uh, sexual reproductive rights. They just have so few rights. And uh, they don't have access to the things that just fun- fundamental things, you know. Sometimes, like very simple things that are uh, f- could be put easily into place to facilitate uh, prevent preventable disease. Last night, I came off the plane at JFK, and it, I was hugely impressed. There's a whole line down the corridor, down the escalator, talking about malaria, mm-hmm. preventable disease. It's it's a big issue it's not simple to put it in place but actually a life can be saved with a mosquito net with access to treatment all of these things just things that we don't even we don't even know about it's another yeah. planet it is
1: uh, but isn't it interesting that you know when you grew up um, you wouldn't think about africa uh, or any of these other nations but now because of the internet because people are spreading stuff that the the planet is smaller than ever and that I hear just like you you brought up the malaria, uh, which has been a problem for a long time, but it gets talked about now more than ever before.
11: That I think it is entering people's consciousness. You know, I agree with you. And this is what I have to say about it. Western countries are fixated with... Celebrity
2: mm-hmm.
11: and media. That's what really drives the media. Yeah. It's hugely powerful. And it enters into our lives through the products that we use. Shampoo, the cars that we buy, the clothes that we wear, whatever. If we could take that resource of interest and place it and direct it in the right way, we could see justice in the world. We could see changes in the world. Positive changes, life saving changes. So I'm, I don't think that I'm being idealistic when I engage with these issues. Right. You know, you see what I'm saying? I take my intention and I take my focus as one individual and I put it onto that. And I know that I can't be the solution, but I can be part of the long, you know, I can be part of the contribution towards the effective response. And again, you know, it does start to take place
1: if introduced to people. And, you know, I will, You know, the audience could be blamed on it, but at the same time, it's because when you are not paying attention, you're just not paying attention. You don't focus on it. And maybe the odd thing is that we should do American Idol or Dancing with the Stars have to take place in one of these African villages. If you want to get your entertainment thing, then you have to look at some of these other problems that are going on. Maybe we should just move the celebrities over into
11: places that need thought. Well, you know, in the the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. we have had for many years a fantastic program call comic but it's organization excuse me we call it red nose day over there right comic And we relief. Have comic relief mm-hmm. and ostensibly that's what comic re- comic relief just did exactly what you've suggested they sort of said look you know people need they need to be interested in these things to make the world a better place and they're interested in celebrity so let's take the celebrities ugh, i hate the word but mm-hmm. let's take them and let's, put them into, let's, let's have them encounter a situation, whether it be malaria, whether it be water issues, whether, you know, whatever the issue would be. Take them into the village face-to-face, meet the people, see what's going on, and then Comic Relief will create a project that can help with that situation. And the, the film clips that they make from those situations are played into everybody's living room, and on a red-nosed day, everybody's watching it, everybody gets involved with it, schools, business. Businesses, you name it, shops, brands, everybody gets involved with comic relief. And I, and I agree with you. I think that is one way to do it to harness right. the interest of a nation, to, to, to show them, look, we can do something that is really effective and we'll do it like this.
1: Yeah. One thing, too, I've noticed about corporations. Uh, because I used to kind of be anti-corporate and after a while you're just banging up against it. You're not going to beat it. But they will react if they think that's what people want. Absolutely. A corporation will do whatever you want them to do if they can make money out of it. Correct. And there's no, there, there, probably we should get to a point of saying, all right, if this is the system that we live in, this is what would make me buy your product.
11: Well, you see, then that would be a sort of, corporate capitalism with a social conscious input right. into action, yeah. which is ultimately probably what, would, what could work. We've looked at all political system, systems and structures and business systems and structures, and you know, none of them work, really. They, mm-hmm. they work to certain people's benefit. Right. But actually, they don't really work because there are billions of people that are just left in the hole of desperate poverty. That's not right. No. That's not right. The interesting thing, though, is even if you
1: keep it top of mind, you still end up back into your own, own life. You know what I mean? Like I will, I'm living here in New York City, and I could hear half the people in the world don't have water or access to healthcare, and and I'm like, oh, that's amazingly awful. We need to do something. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the day, I'm still complaining about not catching a taxi or a subway. It's it's very hard to keep it conscious.
11: Hey. Well to be honest with you I'll just mm-hmm. I'll just put it to you like this I understand what you're saying very well mm-hmm. and for many many years I also had that huge frustration and felt frustrated by my own frustration right <laughs> it kind of creates a sense of ongoing impotence but even if you were to just say to yourself that one cup of coffee that I have on a Thursday I'll take the dollar and a 1.50 whatever it costs you and I'm going to commit it to an investment in social change and I'm going to back an organisation that I really trust and I know is going doing great things, whether it be in Haiti now where you have a desperate situation with these poor people that have had yeah. to face this terrible earthquake and now they're facing a cholera epidemic. Oh my goodness, instead of feeling like overwhelmed by that, just say, that cup of coffee that I was going to have on the Thursday is going to support Médecins Sans Frontières. And that's my investment. And then you can feel good about yourself and you can think, yeah, actually, I'm not just, it's not just hopeless. I'm helping them do that. And in that way, you turn it from being a paternalistic charitable thing where, oh, uh, oh I guess I'll take this money and uh, kind of put it there right. to saying, you know what, I want to see that change. I want to be part of it. And, I've, and I'm have and i telling you this because I've spoken to many organizations and the feedback that I get from them is, yes, the Bill Gates of the world who have billions to give away. Fantastic. Don't compare yourself to him. He's doing it in his way. He's a billionaire. Great. You do it in your own way. And it's very relative. The lady, the little old lady, you know, mm-hmm. that gives the regular half 50 cents. Is so important That's the consistent backbone Of all those incredible NGOs That are out there On the coalface Making the changes When did this
1: uh, dawn on you? Is this something that you learned over your life? Or did you have this before you got into music? Or it was from well, traveling the world? Well, I
11: have always just Naturally been a person with um, A heightened consciousness In the sense mm. that our conscience And uh, sensitivity And empathy, I guess Even when I was a kid and, um, and I always was overwhelmed by the injustice in the world. You know, as a young child, I would see. Uh, footage of the first World War, Second World War, or I would see footage of famine, or, you know just the things that you get to see through documentary film clips. I adore documentary, I find it so educational. Mm-hmm. I want to know about the world i don 't want to live in ignorance. I want to go outside my my own comfort zone and see how other people live, and then you can say my god i 've got the clean running water coming out of my tap." I didn't realise what a luxury that was. I didn't realise how resourceful I am here. I've got the vote. I've got freedom of speech. This is incredible, you know. So just to say, I mean, my background is my family were very uh, kind of politically conscious. And so I was brought up with this kind of lot this discussion about justice and injustice. And I always had that sensibility. But it took me a while to be t- into the position I'm in now. I'm a middle aged woman. I've got, I've got two almost adult daughters. And I think that women of my age are an incredibly resourceful power. You know, because we've done so much and we sometimes like, oh, hey, what do we do now? I think it's now the time for women like myself, particularly, to support women in other countries or even in your, in your own country. Right. Just do something, you know. Well, the interesting thing, too, is I just think what you're
1: saying that is any of the benefits I have gotten were from luck or other people's work. Born into America, you born into, you know, Great circumstances. Yeah, it's circumstances. It's just the luck of the draw. But then if you look back, you look at people who worked. A lot of women, younger girls that you say have turned their back on feminism and that's something that happened before. It's because they've already had the opportunity yes. to take
11: advantage of these giant yes. leaps
1: of people who put their shoulder down and worked for it.
11: Exactly. And they have no value of it because they haven't had to make an effort. They haven't seen the effort that entailed to get there. So they have something like a vote and it doesn't mean much to them. Right. Or they have freedom of speech. They don't know what that means. I mean, I've been a member of Amnesty International for many, many years, and I've met people that were had been political prisoners of conscience or people that were just simply taken off the streets of their country, put into prison without any lawyer, without any representation and just locked up because somebody overheard a conversation that they were having and said that person is against our regime. And we're locking them up. And sometimes those people will just disappear and you won't know anything about them. Amnesty International works to identify the situation. It has letter writing campaigns where individuals can collectively send letters to governments that are unjustly holding people in prison. And sometimes those governments respond. They really, really do because they don't like to be seen as the bad guy. Look at what's been happening in Burma. The militaristic junta has tried to keep Aung San Suu Kyi, has kept her out of the public light and the whole country has been separate separate from the rest of the world for so long. They can't, you know, actually the, the world opinion is watching Burma and has been watching them for many years. If you didn't have the campaigners all these years saying Aung San Suu Kyi, Aung San Suu Kyi, she would just have disappeared like everybody else. So,
1: again, it comes back to that we do have power, and then we also, as individuals, have responsibility to just pay attention, whether we're we're pushing along governments or major corporations, because they need our backing. All of us. Yeah.
11: Listen, if we didn't buy the magazines, the newspapers, the shampoos, whatever, 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 they'd be all out of business. We make them happen. Right. And then the interesting thing, I brought this
1: up with radio before because I grew up in radio, but if you had a radio station and you just blew a whistle into the microphone and they found out that the numbers were there, then three months from now there would be three radio stations just blowing whatever it takes. They just want your business. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, Let's talk a little bit as I I let you go here about Universal Child. That's the... The original song on this
11: yes it's i mean i hadn't intended to write a song for the album i I was really thinking i wanted to go back into my childhood and and just explore the songs that i'd sung all these years ago all these songs are the ones i sang they're not just taken off of a a list of you know you, you know random here we are an arbitrary choice Oh, that that'll go down well you know it it's actually something i've got a personal relationship with and then one day when i was recording in the studio I had had this title running through my head, Universal Child, and it somehow resonated very strongly with me, but the universality of all of us, that we've all been born into this world naked, of a mother, you know, and, uh, and that some of us, as you just said a minute ago, circumstantial. Right. You happen to be born here or you happen to be born there. And by uh, just like the randomness of your birthplace and your family and your situation, you could be... Born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know, or you could just be in the the pit of poverty. And so, I I mean, I think that all of us, all of us human beings, the whole of humanity, if we could recognize the preciousness of a life, just a life, one life. Look at the miners that came out of the the hole in the ground in Chile. And we were all ecstatic. 33 lives were saved. The whole world was celebrating, rightly so. We need to ha- put that value in, back into human life. And um, so Universal Child is about that. It's about the preciousness and the sort of sacredness, if you like, without the religious overtones of the divinity, if you like, of human life. All of us. Uh,
1: thank you so much for coming in, Annie. And congratulations. Mother Christmas was here. Mother Christmas was here. <laughs> and you are a force of nature. It really... I, 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 I i imagine for the people with you it's exhausting just is it be, exhausting is it people exhausted? with me they're, they're just like no oh. and
2: they're saying it's, no it's the time change. it's exhausting <laughs> it's, the, it's, the,
1: it's the time differences uh it is uh wonderful to have you here congratulations the new album is uh, christmas Cornucopia, and we'll go out with universal child thank you so much thank
11: you what a pleasure
2: you face before you learn to climb I'm gonna give you what it takes my universal child I'm gonna try to find a way to keep you safe from XM. Son of a bitch.
6: What did you say?
1: You goddamn son of a bitch.
6: Say that again.
1: You goddamn mean son of a bitch! Say
6: it faster. You
1: goddamn mean dirty son of a bitch!
6: I wouldn't make it a habit calling me that son.
3: Alright, all.
1: All it's a fetish show. Get ready to, to, to wrap it up, year. Lily. How'd you like Annie Lennox?
9: That was amazing.
1: She was amazing. is intense, man.
9: I want to like sit the way she was sitting. I, I was know, just man.
1: She's so powerful. Yeah. And That's then, like
9: she is what we should aspire for our daughters to become. That is a strong, smart, uh, I think woman. if your son got that strong and smart. <laughs> she yeah. is a powerful, powerful person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I
1: thought all this stuff she was saying was just crazy brilliant. Right on, yeah. Um, did you enjoy it, Fez? Did she have a nice time here?
7: Yeah, she had a fantastic... She thinks you're fantastic. Why? Because I was here with her? No, she said... She goes, it's important to talk to intelligent people, is what she was telling me outside. And then... She's in love with you. Why would you...
1: Say what he has to turn it into (laughs) that, and that's not what we're talking about at all. That's the silly part of it. Fez, I'd like to see you do something for Red Nose Day. And it ain't about you drinking again. Uh, I didn't know about Red Nose Day from watching Ricky Gervais on The Office. That's the only reason why I know about it.
9: Right, okay.
1: Remember, we had comic relief in this country. And it lasted just a couple of years until Whoopi had to do a movie. They went on with it over there. Uh, Paul, you're on the run of Fez show. Oh, it's Radio Shark. Radio Shark. He finally got in.
9: He did. He He will follow me anywhere.
1: Did He He used to call you in Rochester?
9: Every day. I used to have to, like, train the uh, the phone screener. I'm like, this is his voice. Just get it down. If he's calling to make some not funny joke on me, it's nine times out of ten going to be Radio Shark. And it mainly was.
1: Did you say when uh, little Mina uh, wanted to come back in and meet Annie?
9: That was amazing. It was like, I had to text message somebody. I was like, this, I just witnessed something that was incredibly powerful. Like, two amazingly brilliant, talented women coming together and admiring each other, kind of. well. It was more Mina sort of admiring right. Annie. But.
1: And then I had to
9: put Mina over with Annie. I'm like, she's a fine young actress. <laughs> she's doing a lot of work. She's like, oh, brilliant. Right, yeah. that's
1: It's right. Good. Good for all. <laughs> now I've got to push these two continents together. <laughs> um, let's, go to, uh, let's go to Joe. Joe, you're on Runa Fez. Hey, Ronnie. I'm
0: a huge Annie Lennox fan, and I want to say that's an awesome interview. The only thing is, I missed the last of because I had to
1: do my laundry. What happened? Oh, because a Fez walked out on me when I was with Dr. Steve. Oh, jeez. They won't leave you
7: alone with that, Fez. No, no, they won't.
1: In the middle of everything else that we're trying to do in the world, Annie Lennox and I are really trying to fix the world. I would love to. Mm-hmm. I would love to fix the world. And I'm now starting to think it's fixable. Sometimes I will get... Uh, so disappointed like no we're, we're shit there's nothing we can do about it but i'm now thinking that it's fixable
9: well i bought a pair of tom shoes and if you buy a pair of tom shoes they will match shoe for shoe so you'll buy a pair and then they'll buy a pair for a child in need so i did that last week and i feel like i did something really well, good. well like <laughs> she said look at
1: that one choice yeah. that one choice is amazing that if you just make these smaller choices but you know Uh, I have now decided we're not going to get outside. The the corporate thing will exist forever, but we need to learn how to manipulate it ourselves. And some of that actually even came back uh, originally from O&A stuff. Mm
9: -hmm.
1: When I saw that what happened when the listeners started to band together, that the corporation started to blink... That was one of the most amazing things that I saw on radio. So since then, I've been thinking, how many things can you do that for? If you just say to people, I will buy your car if you do this, instead of going the opposite way, which we do all the time, where it's like, don't buy grapes because they did this. Instead, just act like, I'm going to buy more grapes if you do this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, come at it in a positive way. And I think all that money that's going into churning uh, the world and, you know, actually making the world better for so many people uh, can spread around to be even more better. You know, you, you look at what happened. We're not that far out of the dirt ourselves in the western part of the world.
9: Well, when, when you and Annie were talking about, um, she was talking about South Africa and how it's either extreme poverty or the opposite. It's just extreme wealth. Right. And it kind of made me think about this country because the middle class in this country is becoming sort of obsolete. So that could possibly be our future in this country. And that's sort of scary. Uh,
1: It is. But here's the weird thing. And I read this. I think Bono put this out. But they said, like, if you took your life and compared it to Bill Gates, right? how much richer he is than you, right, uh, that one of these African starving people, to you, you're way closer to Bill Gates than you are to that African starving kid, that we just don't have any understanding. Now, let's look at Bill Gates. You have everything that he has. He just has better shit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But you have everything else that he has. You have a car, he has a car. You get food, he gets food. You get water, he gets water. His is better than yours, but it's the same stuff. Where those really poor people in the world, they don't have a damn thing. And that's what I'm going to start working towards with Red Nose Day. I like that little links. Oh, she's unbelievable. Uh, Fez, that's it for us. Uh, we got to get out of here. It was so nice to see you again.
9: So nice seeing you guys.
1: Are you going to stop by again, or is this it?
9: Um, I might stop by next week sometime. You're
1: always invited. Maybe,
9: are you guys doing a show before Thanksgiving? Oh, Wednesday, I forgot last all day. about
1: that. Yeah, Maybe I, I forgot. I'll pop in for that. I forgot about the whole Thanksgiving Day stuff. Shit. So we're on the short porch next week, huh?
7: Yep. What's our days? Monday and Tuesday. That's it. That is it.
1: I have not been paying attention.
7: Wow.
9: You guys don't even have to work Wednesday?
7: Oh, yeah, I guess you're flying, huh? I'll be flying on Wednesday. I'll be high. In- <laughs> uh, you know something, yeah. I like it better when you're busy.
1: <laughs> Didn't you get anything what Annie Lennox and I try to teach you today?
5: I was running around. I was catching it here and there. I love that guy's accent.
1: Powerful woman. I I don't mind making her queen.
9: Of that, she is a queen.
1: She could be playing queen in a movie in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. Um. All right, that is it for us.
7: I'm going to wrap this one up. We re- remember that in December, it is search, search, hurry up and search every day on The Ron and Fez Show. Great prizes all throughout December. All great autograph stuff. People like uh, Darlene Love, Stefan Lassard. The Let's situation. Start at the bottom when we
1: got to go in a, in a hurry.
7: Uh, also, Brian Wilson, James Cameron, Academy Award winner.
1: Beautiful. All right, that is it for us.
7: Lily, I'll see you soon.
1: Peace. Eh, uh, Dad, uh, Dubai show, dog.
2: at uh, the line.